Welcome back to Occasionalist Sports Radio. It's time for the most hot and cold duo in all of sports talk to take you over the line. Here are your hosts, Adam Smoke Chemilewski and the Big Freeze Matt Bagel. We are back on your airwaves once again, suckers. That is right. To my left, one half of your dynamic sports duo, the man voted most likely to be searched for drugs at an airport, it's Adam Smoke Chemilewski. And I'm the other half, number one in your hearts, but number 69 in your girl, it's the Big Freeze, Matt Pagel. It's the number one rated sports podcast with felons ages 24 to 49 in the state of Florida, and we're here to take you over the line! Hell yeah, baby. Smoke, what is going on, my man? I am doing absolutely fucking fantastic. Always a little bit more energetic when I got a PTO the next day. I'm fucking fired up and ready to do this. I am ready to do this as well. Once again, we are talking, of course, over the lines here. Smoke and the Big Freezer back. So, of course, we're talking sports. Uh, we got a lot on the agenda today. We got... Uh, we got a lot of topics to talk about. We get, we're going to talk about what's grinding our gears. We're going to get to the phones. It's going to be a good. It's going to be a good. Uh, it's going to be a good episode. I have a feeling. I have a feeling this is going to be a great episode. It's going to be great. My year, my gears have been grinding a little bit. I'm ready to take on some of these fucking idiot callers that we usually take on, who we do love, and they are the reason that we do our show. And uh, yeah, I'm ready, bro. Let's do it up. Let's do it up. You know what? In fact, let's jump right into it. Let's talk about what is grinding our gears. Now, here's the thing, though. We're going to talk about what's grinding our gears, but I, you can't use that phrase, what grinds my gears. It's overused. It's overplayed. We can't do it. So I want us to get a little bit, just a little bit more creative when we talk about the things that are bugging us, okay? So Sounds good. We're just going to go back and forth, and uh, I'll tell you what. I'll lead everything off here. How's that sound? Sounds good, man. Hey, Smoke. You know what really frosts my cookies? What's that big freeze? Reggie Bush still doesn't have his Heisman back. Reggie Bush and every other college football player who ran afoul of these stupid-ass NCAA rules that no longer matter should have all of their stats and all of their awards reinstated right now. Fuck the NCAA. Free Reggie Bush. Man, you ain't fucking kidding. All that's going on right now in college football is just a legal version of what they were doing before. You can't be meaning to tell me that nobody has bought players prior to Reggie Bush. Absolute bullshit. Give him his fucking Heisman back. Absolutely. Well, you know, Big Freeze, you know what closes my voting booth? Oh, what closes your voting booth there, uh, there Smoke? <laughs> the new Cavs City Edition jerseys. How the hell do you go from such great, awesome, regular season jerseys to that absolute piece of crap? And I saw this Instagram post that gave me all the details of the jersey. How do so many details go into such a big piece of crap? That is a very good question. That's a very good question, Smoke. I feel like uh, I feel like when it comes to the jer- the jersey design, we're getting a little bit too crazy with uh with what needs to go into everything simplify it just like the Cavs regular jerseys simplify it simplify hey smoke you know what really boils my bucatini what boils your bucatini big freeze when the michigan state players were assaulting two michigan players not one other spartan player watching in that circle stepped up to do anything 
Mel Tucker always talks about a culture of responsibility. Nice culture you got there, Mel Tucker. Your boys did absolutely nothing. I saw that video, Big Freeze, and I will tell you, they could have easily stepped in and done something. That was complete fucking bullshit. It's not a tunnel like everybody blames. Oh, it's this tunnel. It's this tunnel. They've been playing games coming out of that tunnel for almost 90 fucking years. And, of course, there have been incidents, but this is unexcusable. It's not a fucking tunnel at all. It's your team. Get them together, Mel Tucker. Absolutely. That's why you're That's why you're four and five, whatever the hell your, your team is right now. No culture, <laughs> right. bunch of losers. That's why. Yep, you got picked up on a nice fat contract too, you know? And you know, Big Freeze, you know what cashes my bowl. Oh, what's that? What's that, Smoke? I gave up listening to 92.3. I cannot stand the fucking callers of that show anymore. I do not understand how a radio station gave so much breathing room to people that routinely defended Deshaun Watson straight up like he is a hero. All the victims are liars. I can't fucking take it anymore. I gave up and I switched to the Locked On Podcast Network. That seems like a much better choice. Podcasts are a much better choice. Anyway, anyway, folks out there, get OTL on your podcast feed right now. But you make a very salient point. I, the, It feels like 92.3 The Fan is moving into a very particular direction. They even have a weekend host who is very much pro-Deshaun Watson, pro-Kyrie Irving. Not going to name names. We can talk about them off the air. Uh, there's a very... There's a very um, there's some kind of need to quote unquote play both sides, but there is no both sides on these on some of these issues. There's only one side, and that's the right side. That's exactly right. No need to give oxygen to these fucking dick, dick shits. Hey, smoke. You know what really sharts my shorts? <laughs> what sharts your shorts, Mister Big Freeze? Fantasy sports and gambling are warping the way people view athletes. Is Christian McCaffrey a valuable fantasy player? Of course he is. He catches the football, he runs the football, and occasionally throws the football. He's a tremendous fantasy value. Is he a better football player than Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry? Absolutely not. Let's stop conflating fantasy value with actual value on the field. Stop it. Oh, I could not agree with you more on this one. Yes, I remember when Christian McCafferty got traded to the Niners and I could not tell you the amount of social media related posts that I saw that were all in the fantasy. That's like your fantasy team is going to be fucking amazing. This is the greatest goddamn thing that has ever happened to fantasy sports. That is definitely not the fucking case. Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, even when I had a Brees Hall before he got hurt was an absolute fucking man. All of these people, um, definitely just, you know, Priest Hall, he's a rookie, but I will say Nick Chubb, Derek Henry, definitely on a whole other grade above Christian McCafferty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Mr. Big Freeze, do you know what keeps my virginity? What, what keeps your virginity? Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers. Mm. I was personally hoping that that stupid video would have been the video that sunk that program into oblivion and then so again. But nope, they beat Alabama and they are now a top-ranked football team. LSU is a very, very unlikable SEC program for me. I wanted them to fall, and unfortunately, they are just rising to the top. It, you know what? I think this is more about this is more about Nick Saban and less about Brian Kelly. I just don't think Alabama is still a good football team. I just don't think this is the year that they have their best football team. And unfortunately, 
every now and then, what is as we've seen year year in and year out, one of these SEC teams lands a lucky punch, and LSU yep. landed their lucky punch. Yep. So enjoy it while it lasts, because I still believe that video is going to take the program. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey, smoke. You know what really dials my internet? What dials your internet, Mr. Big Freeze? There's a freak talent playing baseball right now, and his name is Oniel Cruz. A six foot five, two hundred pound shortstop, throws the ball at about hundred miles an hour in, on the infield, hit a home or hit a single, I should say, uh, off the wall that was clocked at 125 miles an hour, and he's playing in baseball purgatory, aka Pittsburgh. Nothing against the city of Pittsburgh, but this team is a fucking black hole. And no one's going to know about him until he hits free agency or gets traded in a few years. Free O'Neill Cruz. Put him on a real team. I can agree with you on that one because I hate when talent dies in a baseball purgatory, as we're currently seeing with two players in Southern California on the Angels. Free him. Get him on a good team. Bring him out to L.A. And let's do this up. Let's do it. Hey, Mr. Big Freeze, do you know what stubs my toe? Oh, what stubs your toe there, Smoke? Brett fucking Favre. Fuck him, diverting money from the Mississippi welfare funds to build a volleyball facility at Southern Miss. Now there are are drug companies uh, being investigated because they um, falsified their results, trying to make it look like their product was some major thing. I cannot believe that this unlocked as much of a scandal as it did. And fuck Brett Favre for putting us through the stupid media cycle. Could you imagine the fallout if Brett Favre goes to jail? Not, not has to, you know, not, not, not has to pay a fine and put under house arrest. If Brett Favre has to go to jail for fraud, that would be maybe that maybe one of the headlines of, uh, of, of outside of the, outside of OJ, um, you know, killing his wife, or, you know, supposedly killing his wife. Obviously, he's very innocent of that. Um, this would be one of the headlines of our century. Hall of, NFL Hall of Famer going to prison. I fucking could not imagine what would happen to this country if that went down. Like, we would be talking an epic media storm. Epic. This could this would might even be bigger than OJ. Because I can maybe see Brett Favre trying to free from the cops and all this stuff, trying to avoid arrest, too. He doesn't look like the, the brightest guy to me. So if this something like this goes down, I am just going to get some fucking popcorn and lean back and just watch the goddamn craziness. Because shit might get really real if Brett Favre goes to jail. Free... Free Reggie Bush, free O'Neill Cruz, free Shohei Otani, free Mike Trout, put Brett Favre in jail. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. You bet. Then he could go to actual jail, not a baseball purgatory. Yep, go to actual jail. All right. (laughs) uh, That does it for our first segment here, what's uh, what's grinding our gears. Uh, I I think we got a lot off our chest there. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good going into our next segment. Yeah, I definitely felt good to get some of those things off of my fucking uh, chest there, dude. Definitely. Yeah, my my gears have been unground, at least for the time being. Absolutely. All right, before we hop into our next segment, uh, we got a quick commercial break here, correct, uh, Smoke? We have a fucking commercial break, you bet, and we are going to go to this live read right now. Is it an absolute mess down there? Is it simply fuller than it used to be down there? What if I could tell you that you could see more down there? 
by calling Rupert's Basement Cleaning Service. Yes, at Rupert's Basement Cleaning, they specialize in cleaning out your basement. It's literally all they do. Attic a mess? Too bad. No room in the garage? Call some Weak Sauce Garage Cleaning Service. But if you want to see your floor where stuff used to be, or if you want to reclaim territory because your wife needed a crafting room, call Rupert's Basement Cleaning. Well, that's literally all they do. Clean your basement. All right. Thanks to Rupert's Basement Cleaning for uh, the $5 they paid us to get this spot. Uh, We'll be able to pick up uh, a couple of Mad Dogs for each of us. Hell yeah, dude. There is nothing like a fresh, tasty mad dog after endorsing a hard-working American company. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to jump into it now. We just got a couple of topics here each that we want to get into a little bit more detail on. Um, back and forth, we're just going to go. Two topics each. Um, so, Chema, what, what are we leading off here with? What are we going to talk about? All right, dude. I'm going to be leading off by talking about a new term that I learned since moving to Southern California – Called a trap game. Now, well, hold on, hold you. on a second. Not a new term, but a new term to you. New term to me. Correct. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that. Just yes. All every bet. other degenerate gambler that I know is has trap game tattooed somewhere on their bodies. See, I could totally, totally believe that. I will tell you, I listen to podcasts covering the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and occasionally I chime in on the ACC. The Pac-12-centered podcasts are the only podcasts that use the expression trap game. I have not heard this expression used on any of the other podcasts that I listen to. So this is why this is a new thing to me. And see, Big Freeze, I'm about to tell you exactly why this is a worthy discussion here. Because honest to God, all that they are doing is just calling an upset something else. They are preparing their people and their audience to be upset by whoever the hell they are playing. Now, for example, USC this year has had three trap games and they've won all three of them, but the entire, it was um, Oregon state, Washington state and Cal from um, last weekend. And they played Cal. Now, Every single week leading up to these games, these podcasts that I talk about have described this as a trap game. Like this USC is just going to go in there and get trapped. And like, honestly, this could easily happen, but it would just be called an upset. So like for me, this new term just feels like they are calling an upset something different as a way to, I don't know, like maybe relieve some of the uh, responsibility on the team. They played a trap game. They went into a hostile environment, blah, blah, blah. blah. No, they just got upset. Th- that's it. They lost. I think just... I think that this podcast you're listening to doesn't actually know what a trap game is. Because that's not what a trap game is. So a trap game is, let's say, so it's USC, let's say, and they got uh, on the horizon, they have... Let's just say that the they're going to go undefeated the rest of the way, and they got the uh, they got the the Pac-12 championship game is their last you know to look forward to. But they got to play some dog shit Pac-12 team before then. Um, that's the trap game because you're looking ahead to the bigger game. You might get mired in a game that you're kind of not worried about. It doesn't really mean anything necessarily, except that it does mean something. That's a trap game. 
Yeah, I will tell you that is not the context that they are using it in in these podcasts out here. They never, it's never talking about looking ahead to the week behind. It's never like, hey, they might be sleeping on this. It's like they are just going into another stadium and they might lose. So prepare yourself for the fact that they might lose by calling it a trap game. Yeah, yeah, incorrect usage of trap game. Bad job out of those guys. Um, maybe, maybe the better, maybe the better example was. Um, uh, Ohio State coming off their title game, off their, off their championship uh, in 2015, and the next season they had the, they had Michigan State, Michigan, I believe it was Michigan State, Michigan, back to back weeks, and mm-hmm. Michigan State was like you know a couple games over yeah. 500 maybe, like maybe they're like a six and four team at that point in time, and Ohio State got bludgeoned, like they just they got beat up. It was like a 15 to 13 game or something. Um, mm-hmm. And like their their kicker made like five field goals because they were looking ahead to Michigan instead of paying attention to Michigan State trap game. Yeah, Did, never hear it like that out here. I'm telling <laughs> you, the West Coast the the West Coast trap game is a completely different trap game. The, the West Coast trap game is um yeah hey by the way there it's hostile territory. Uh, you might not necessarily because I never hear it like this USC Cal game would be the only time I've ever actually heard it used where it was applied to the the home team it's usually if you're the if you're the team going somewhere that's where you could fall into the trap game but like yeah it's to be it's just prepping everybody for a loss in a very very fancy way uh, yep yep that's exactly what they're doing and i think that they should be punished for incorrectly believe me like talk to talk to some degenerate vegas gamblers about what a trap game is they'll give you a very very concise definition of what a trap game is. Yeah, that's believe. Thank God I am not a uh, gambler because uh, <laughs> not yet. I would be falling. I would be falling victim to this often. Yeah, fantasy football is the extent of it, and even that I get a little too wrapped up in. If you know what I mean. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right, I like it though. So now, so but now you can come back and go, hey fellas, this isn't a trap game. Like you, it's just right. Which is a potential upset alert here. That's a little bit different, but. Yeah, I got like you. I got Oregon, you. Oregon State is like not horrible. Like that's it's it just it's not a trap game. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying. Like Cal maybe would have been a trap game, but like Washington State, at least in the beginning of the season, around the time USC played them, was not horrible, and they just came off of a really good game against Oregon. It's just a team. It's just a team that they would lose to. It's not a trap game out here, guys. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, so Chema, I gotta, I gotta take a page from, uh, I gotta take a page from former President Donald Trump, and we gotta make strongman sports great again. Listen, there was a time, there was a moment in time that lasted about like 10, 15 years, stretching from like the early '80s to the mid '90s. That strongman, in particular, the world's strongest man, was kind of a thing. Like it was the thing that, like, it, it, it was a big thing on ESPN. It was actually one of the top-rated programs, and prior to, prior to it being on ESPN. There was definitely some kind of mystique to the world's strongest man. I mean, you had guys like Lou Ferrigno participating in it. You had um, you had some other notable people like you know Bill Kazmaier. Some other interesting characters used to participate in strongman in the 1980s and, and in the 90s. Um, in fact, Bill Kazmaier was such a dominant strongman that he was barred from barred from competing because he like would just lap the field and everything he did. Um, and there were like I said, there's some great characters that came out of this point in time. But, like, I'm not really sure what happened. Like, it's just, it's sort of on the back burner now. If you want to watch, like, strongman stuff, you got to get on to, like, you got to get on to, like, cable networks that are only showing it, like, on, like, weekend mornings. It's very, very low-profile stuff now. And it blows my mind because I think we now, 
even more so than in the 80s and 90s, have better stars that are involved in the strongman. You, everyone knows who Thor Bjornsson is. Like, everyone knows who Thor Bjornsson is. He was the fucking mountain yeah. from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. But, like, a lot of people don't know that he is literally one of the strongest people walking the earth. Like, they know mm-hmm. he's big. You know, they know he's intimidating. But, like, if you saw him compete, you would be like, oh, this is why they picked this motherfucker. Like, it's it's yeah, not just his size. It's like he can back it up, too. He looks the part. He's breaking records all over the place. Like, ancient old records that have stood forever and stuff. Yep. So you got so you have right there you have a celebrity that was on one of the most notable characters from one of the most notable shows in the history of television is one of your is one of your strong men. Why he's not getting more run in the public eye, I don't know. And then when you get to the then when you get down to the guys who are like really like the the um you know the the, the celebrities in that sort of um, athletic circle, th- you still have great personalities. You got guys like Brian Shaw, one of America's strongest men ever. He is very well-spoken, very funny, very insightful. He kind of reminds me a lot of, like, if Joe Thomas was a strongman. He, Brian Shaw is the Joe Thomas of strongmen. He's that kind of personality. And you would want him, especially he's getting a little bit older. He's, like, in his late 30s or maybe even 40 now. If, if there was sort of a, um, if they still had, if, like, they still had the same type of show that they used to have for the World's Strongest Man back in the day, he would definitely be, like, one of your hosts of that show. You could see him doing a great job yeah. with it. Did you guys? You got guys like Martins Lisi's. He's an American, but I think he's originally from Latvia. Um, he's a fucking character. He likes to joke. He doesn't take it too seriously. You can tell he's having fun. He's like a multiple world strongest man. Like he's just a good personality in it. And then you have going across, going overseas. You have a guy like Eddie Hall, who at one point in time had a deadlift record, but he's a very self-deprecating Brit. Um, he's very visible on social media. He puts himself out there. Um, more recently, he's—I don't think he competes regularly in strongman anymore but right now what he's doing on social media on his youtube channels and stuff he goes out and he tries playing soccer he goes out and he tries playing american football he does um he'll do navy seal training he'll play tennis he'll play volleyball it's like and it's a strongman tries whatever so you have another guy that is like willing to put himself out there and yet all these people that have great personalities somehow still haven't risen to the top we need to make strongman sports great again Dude, I used to watch this shit growing up all the fucking time. Like any, this would be like your uh, Saturday afternoon at the store. If the Sword in the Stone wasn't on Disney or TNT or whatever, mm-hmm. you'd be just watching like a strongman competition because these guys are doing amazing feats in the world of athleticism. And then, like, yeah, somewhere in there, it just kind of like fizzled and f- faded out. And with all of the social media personalities that are, you know, that are in participate in strongman that lift that do all the stuff that we could see videos of and everything. And the way fitness is as big as it is. I mean, the fitness industry is fucking huge. It's mm-hmm. almost as the biggest now that it's ever been that they would try to make an effort to put more strength based competitions into the limelight. But for some reason, they have not, and I do not fucking understand this. Like, I mean, we I follow Thor on Instagram, and you follow, like, some people on social media, so you're aware of when these guys were competing. But for the most part, the general populace is not. And I think that, like, this would, number one, it's extremely entertaining. And, I mean, like, the some of these world strongman competition where they throw telephone poles and stuff like that are <laughs> it's, it's insane. incredibly entertaining to watch. But um, for some reason, like it is just not getting the attention that it deserves. And 
it is about time that networks have started networks to put this into more of a um, of a limelight style platform where it can be seen. I completely agree with you, dude. I, I I think I have one guess as to why this is kind of like this. Like like you said, the fitness industry, especially the fitness influencers, are fucking huge right now. And I think I think that sort of that sort of answers it. None of the strong men are fitness people. Not really. Like they're gotcha. They're in good shape, obviously, for what they do. But like if you saw Eddie Hall on the street, Eddie Hall is like Six one, three hundred pounds. Like he's well more than three hundred pounds. He's heavier than that for sure. Like he doesn't look like a fitness person, even though he's like a great athlete. And I think yeah. that's sort of the problem with it. Like we're we're very concerned with physique and the the appearance of fitness versus oh by the way Thor can literally pick up a nine hundred pound pole and on his <laughs> shoulders and carry it like fifteen meters. Like that's mm-hmm. that is more impressive than someone's whose glutes are big. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly, dude. Definitely, that is way more fucking impressive. And like, do you think that maybe because do you think that maybe these people are almost like too in shape to be on TV, like to to be um to be put into the center focus? Just like man, like these guys are just like absolute fucking built jack monsters and stuff. And like maybe that doesn't carry over so well with uh, the audiences. That's a good question too. I, I I that might be part of. I think I, I think. I think um, maybe not too in shape, but like they all look like fucking creatures. <laughs> like they're, yeah. Like right. I mean, you know, Thor's about six foot ten, you know, four hundred plus pounds. Brian Shaw's about six foot eight, four hundred plus pounds. Um, like I said, Eddie Hall's about probably about six one, three thirty or so. Like these guys are creatures. They just don't look like nor even even when Thor lost a bunch of weight and Eddie Hall lost a bunch of weight to box, they still mm-hmm. looked like fucking creatures. Like they just don't look like oh. normal people. Yeah, when he, dude, him cutting weight to box, it was just, I couldn't even believe it was the same guy. Like, it was just like, cause he lost like a lot of weight. He was fucking cut oh, yeah. and everything. And like, it, and now he's like getting back into powerlifting a little bit more. He's like a little bit bigger than he was. And I just like, I'm like, man, like, how does this guy fucking do it? Like, the fact that he's able to, um, keep his body in the shape that it is in is almost like an achievement in and out of itself. Like they should just have a show about how he does that. So like mm-hmm. we could just lift something every single day and we could uh, follow him and his hot Icelandic wife all around the, the town while they do stuff and get looked at. It'd be the greatest show ever. I love how much smaller he makes his wife look. Who's like a tall lady. And like yeah. how much like she looks like a, she looks like a little doll, but she's probably like five foot nine and like 150. Like she's not small. Right. And dude, and she's like cut and in shape too. Mm-hmm. And he just like, it's honest to God. It's like, like, a like a, a father standing next to his daughter. Yeah. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Make strongman sports great again. That's all I'm saying. Did, did, did he win his boxing match? Like, honestly, like I remember all the hype for it and then I just never watched it. I don't re- see. There's the problem. That was, that's the problem too. <laughs> like that. I'm pretty sure that was a pay-per-view that should have been free. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Like I, I would have watched if that was free. I would have no problem watch that. And like we know a bar out here that does uh, pay per view events, but that fight wasn't like a big. It wasn't like the last McGregor fight. You right. Know, like the the last McGregor fight. Like um, like just thank God watched it with me and we're still together. Um. So like we were like going into this bar like literally like trying to like you know hurry into the place and get a spot. And this would this type of bar, I know for a fact, wouldn't carry the Thor fight. And I, I remember following his training. I was watching him do all the like the punches and stuff. And and then like the fight came and went. And I 
and it just came and went. Like I, I knew he fought. Don't know who won. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't remember either. And I follow both Thor and Eddie Hall, so I have no idea. And I have no idea. Yeah, yeah I gotta say, man, like they need to bring this shit back and bring it back with a vengeance. Absolutely. So what? Uh, what are we talking about next year? All right. So for my next segment, I am going to be talking about these alternate jerseys and helmets that the NFL um, has. For this year, there's been a, a couple of teams are not necessarily wearing – they're not wearing throwbacks. They are wearing alternate jerseys and helmets to what they mm-hmm. already have. It's different than a throwback. And I got to say in general, not really a fan. Um, I like the throwbacks out of all the stuff and all the designs that they've done this year. The old school Dolphins helmet is still the coolest fucking helmet oh, yeah. in the league to mm-hmm. me right now. And like, it's not that I have any problem with the, the Patriot hike in the football. It's just like I hadn't seen that old school Dolphins logo and um, Tyreek Hill is doing awesome things for my fantasy football team. So I'm a little bit like of a Miami Dolphins uh, enthusiast right now. And that helmet is by far and away the best helmet in the league. The, um, some of these alternate ones that they have done, like, I don't know, man, I'm just not that impressed with them. Like when the jets and the Cardinals, like have the two coolest of these helmets, when all they've done is just basically colored their helmet, a different color. I'm just not that impressed. And like, I know the whole thing, it's money, it's marketing. And I'm sure that there are people out there buying this stuff and looking fly in their gear and everything. But for me personally, I'm, I'm just not a fan. I would rather have them just do throwbacks. Or if you don't have something you can necessarily throw back to, don't even do anything at all. And like, I, I wonder just as a Browns fan of like where this could go for the Browns. Cause I did like the numbers on the side of the helmet. I did like that. Um, I did too. Yep. Jersey set up last year with the white jerseys. Mm-hmm. look fucking awesome. I'm, I'm hoping that the Browns either just maybe keep that as their alternate helmet, because what I'm envisioning in my mind is somebody doing a color flip where the helmet is Brown and the stripes are orange. And I could see myself maybe having an, or even like what's in the middle of the football field on a helmet, which I'm still sort of, I think I'm more okay with that than the color swap. And I just had this feeling that when I first see it, I'm going to like it because it's something different. And then when we get to the TV, I just don't, when we get to the game itself, when they're wearing it, I just have this feeling that it is just going to look like brown ass fucking human beings out on the football field. And it might not look as aesthetically pleasing as just seeing something for the first time because, and liking it because it's new. I, I have a, I, I agree with you on basically all of those points. Although I, I am a fan of the Pat the Patriot, but it's more, it's more that like, I like, I like the, the Patriots white helmets with the red uniform combo better than yeah. oh, anything that else that they combo do. combo is sick. Yeah. yeah, that's the best combo they do, definitely. But but certainly the Dolphins, that throwback helmet with a Dolphin wearing a Dolphin helmet is great. I mean, it's... it's And I'm glad they kind of went back to the, the old style of the uniform, the, 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 the that green that they have. The shade yeah, changed just exactly. a little bit. It looks... It's very crisp. Like, it, that, that Miami uniform has been a classic uniform for a long time. Um, they never should have gone away from it. But... I, I'm I'm in agreement with you that some of these teams that like, boy the the Chicago Bears one is bad. That orange helmet is they already have a great uniform, but they're yeah. just they're playing navy blue um, helmet mm-hmm. and they're playing navy blue and, and orange striped jersey. The simple C on it, it's already a great uniform. Justin Fields looks great at that uniform. He looks like a fucking he looks like a fucking CFL player in the all orange uniforms. Yeah, like a yeah. fucking road and cone. The- 
and the helmet is orange and the sea is still orange. Yep. How did nobody think to contrast that out? Like it's, it looks, it basically looks half-assed. It looks like, you know, we all know that everything is about the money and stuff. We all know this. Okay. But like, there are just times where you see something and you're like, they are clearly doing it for the money. Like the money part becomes in the forefront of the decision and everything like that. Whereas sometimes I feel money is definitely the reason, but it's kind of pumped into the the background or whatever, you know, like no one really, it's a, Hey, it's a business. No one really says that stuff. This kind of thing definitely feels like an all business, all money type move. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to say that if they plan on doing this again, somebody's got to do a little bit more research before actually coming out with a final product. Like even the bears, Michigan style, modern day style, like um, the lines on the helmet that looked infinitely better than what we saw on the field with these alternate jerseys. Yeah. That was, um, that was like their original, the first time they had a helmet, that's what Mm -hmm. their helmets, that's what their helmets looked like. So like the thirties probably, or whatever it was, forties maybe. Um, Yeah. So, and the reason why we're seeing more of this is because they changed the rules on like you can you used to be only the the players could only have one helmet, one fitted helmet right. previously, and now you can have multiple. So that and that's why like the last time we saw like the alternate uh, you know the the creamsicle Buccaneers uniforms and Pat, Pat the Patriot that was back when you could have multiple helmets. Um, there's we won't get into those particular helmet rules, but like they have to be fitted a certain way, and you can only have certain brands. So like it cut right. out like a lot of a lot of uh, the options for the alternate helmets. But anyway, that rules change. Yeah. But did, did they? Oh, sorry. Okay. Go ahead. No good. No good. Uh, okay, I was just going to ask you like, was there a point in time? So like you know, it's twenty twenty two. So twenty two years since two thousand. Did they allow for multiple helmets before change it and then bring it back? Because Brady, because you see photos of Brady in the red with the the Pat the Patriot helmet, but. It, it's but it, as from what I remember, there was only one helmet for the last like X amount of time. So it seems like this was available, and then it got stopped. Oh, oh, and then no, yeah, back that's what I, that's what I was saying. Sorry, I, I heard your question a little bit wrong. That's what I was saying. So there was a in 2012 or 2013, 2013, they changed the rule. They changed the helmet rules so you could only have like one particular type of fitted helmet or something per player. Um, which then that means that you can't have alternate helmets prior to gotcha. that. You could. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I, don't, I, knew, I, I don't know the specific rules on it. I just know that there was a helmet rule that basically limited the player to like essentially one helmet unless obviously unless it's like broke or something. Right. Right. And I got to say, like, I'm glad that they lifted the rule. I think that this kind of stuff is fucking awesome. I just like it when it's done right now. Keep in mind, this is entirely subjective. I'm sure there are people out there that love that red Texans helmet for whatever fucking reason. But um, I just think that if you're going to do it, do it right. I agree. I agree. And you know what? I think I think we'll be spared the the kind of bad Browns uniforms simply because I I have I'm going to make a guess that certain teams have, it's not like a rule necessarily, but certain teams probably have a kind of general mandate to not do certain things. Because if you if we went with like a brown helmet or like an all brown, completely brown uniform with a brown helmet, you would like begin to lose the players in the field. More like, yeah. you would really, it would really become difficult to make them out um, if they, if you had like that kind of dark color in, in bulk. Like, it, like, mm-hmm. 
I know that the NFL doesn't like, in most sports in general, don't like when teams wear all black uniforms, like head yeah. to toe black. It kind of is, it, you can like just sort of lose players in like a mass, um, mm-hmm. especially in a sport like football where you have like, you know, you have like piles of players. You can kind of not see them if they're all in the same color. Like if, or if there's like, I should oh, say, if, yeah. there, if there's one unbroken solid dark color, you kind of can't see them. So I have a feeling the Browns are one of those teams where they're like, you can put numbers on the helmet. You can, you know, change the face masks. You can put like a, but it's got to stay orange. We can't have a full brown uniform head to toe. No way. Yeah. It would look like a giant brown glob going to town against a giant white and whatever color glob on screen. Like when Ohio State would play Penn State and they would do the blackout uniform and stuff, after a couple drinks, it literally looks like two, like a black and white mask just going to town on the screen. Yep. And I know, and I know some teams have to kind of be a little bit careful about their color choices because of the colorblind audience can yeah literally when i say they literally can't see players they literally can't like see the difference between the field and the players and it's like players like sort of disappear into a blurry mass so oh yeah that's a really good point about that yeah that's a really good fucking point like they would have extreme difficulties it's already hard enough but they would have extreme difficulties if the players in the field just kind of merge together yeah so i i have a feeling that we're always going to be spared a bad browns helmet but you know i I, like we've tried the orange jerseys multiple times i don't like them i i think that i i think they're not terrible i just don't like them I think you should always stick with that. I, I, honestly, orange helmet, brown top, or orange pants, I think that's a great combo. Mm-hmm. I think it looks really yeah. good. What they wore last Monday night game, yep. best uniform combo by far yep. and away. Absolutely. All right. Uh, one, one, here, one thing I want to get into here before we move on to our next segment, and I don't know if you remember this show, but this was a show that I really fucking enjoyed called Pros versus Joes. Do you remember this at all? I remember this show definitely. Excellent. Okay, so we need to bring back pros versus Joes. And I'll give you the brief rundown if anyone out there is not familiar. Um, So what made me think about this in the first place was every couple of years during big sporting events, especially like the Olympics or something like that, someone will tweet out, and it's usually just a recycled tweet, and I see it all the time, but someone will tweet out that every event should include a regular person for reference. You know, for how much better they are, you know, for how much better the track stars are at track than mm-hmm. regular people. And I think that's kind of bullshit. And I say that because, like, the people that are posting that kind of stuff on Twitter or whatever, your friends already know that you suck at sports. You don't need to have <laughs> someone like you go try to run in the Olympics to, like, make a point. Right? Like, comparing yourself to the – trying to make yourself as a reference point to the 0.1% of humanity is an absolute waste of time. Now, mm-hmm. circle back here, Pros versus Joes was a little bit different. Now, it was a show that pitted, quote-unquote, pro athletes against, quote-unquote, regular Joes. The, the thing was, most of the pro athletes were retired. Or, you know, sometimes for a long time, sometimes it's more recent. But they weren't, like, active in their sports anymore. And what, what to me, what made this a little bit better was that the Joes weren't just regular people. A, a lot of them, more often than not had some kind of athletic experience beyond high school, even if it was like D3 wrestling or something. Like, they were athletic yeah. enough to get out of high school with their, you know, because of their sport. And, in fact, I, I know there's a couple of a couple of episodes where, like, a guy who was, like, a backup, you know, defensive back at, like, Oklahoma State was on one of the episodes. So, like, 
this is to me is a much better reference point, right? This is where I want to re- how I want to reboot pros versus Joes instead of like you know instead of like kind of retired athletes. Like I remember an episode of like Eric Dickerson in it when he was like fifty one. Instead of that, let's get like actual current athletes, even if they're not like superstars, actual current athletes to take on some of those guys that never made it. So like, mm-hmm. sure, I would love to have like. I would love to see like Steph Curry have like a three point contest with some guy that played basketball at like Findlay or something like yeah. good enough to play basketball at college better than better than most people more than likely. But to see how much better Steph Curry is than someone who played college basketball or have someone who was or if you want to even bump that up a level, have someone who played football at Mount Union try to tackle Nick Chubb like Mount yeah. Union great division three football school. Let's show him how much. Let's show everyone though how much better a former, um, or uh, excuse me, a current NFL running back is than a former Division three linebacker. You'll see the difference there, and I think those reference points are better starting points than having like fucking fat, you know, some fat idiot on his couch try to race against Usain Bolt. Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I think this version of Pros versus Joes makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, I could see this for sure. Yeah, it, it's not even entertaining television to watch me go up against Usain Bolt or even even somebody like uh, who is a same a similar height as like Muggsy Bose or Spud Webb trying to drive the lane on me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like these are just completely unrealistic. But however, and I'm not going to lie because I'm definitely intrigued by this, is that what is the difference between – somebody who went to Mount Union and like a pro athlete who went to Georgia. Like this is a great discussion. You know, like I, in doing like my college football following and stuff, like I follow a lot of like different recruiting websites and stuff like that. Like where are these high school kids going to go? And like, I have always often wondered what the hell is the difference between a five and four star quarterback? Like Joe Burrow was only a five star quarterback and he won the Heisman national championship and he took a team to a Super Bowl and mm-hmm. stuff. And and then you have guys like uh, Matt Barkley, who was the highest rated quarterback recruit ever at that time for 24 seven sports. And they have since had higher recruits yeah, than Matt yeah. Barkley, but like he was the highest, like, you know, the, literally God's gift to football went to modern day and religious, everything like that, you know, and he, his, not only was his college career only so-so, but like his pro career did not amount to much of anything. Mm. And he was a five-star. So like, what is the difference between these kinds of caliber athletes? And while the five to four star may be a little bit too close for, to build up drama on television, I don't blame them for not wanting to go that route, but to maybe have Nick Chubb go up against like, uh, whoever is playing linebacker at uh, down at Mount Union, that would be awesome because I, I personally think that a lot of people, you know, uh, Division Two and Division Three sports have a tendency of going overlooked in as far as like you know the general sports fandom and stuff. You know, like I mean, we probably see it in Ohio because we love football and stuff like that so much and know how Union and John Carroll are doing yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like for the most part, like. People are just like, wow, like fucking Edinburgh and PA, they have football. (laughs) You know, like most of these people don't even know that these schools have football. So to get somebody um, at like a division three level to go up against a pro, I think that this would be a great way to show a comparison in the different caliber of athletes and stuff. And, um, you know, I don't think we we haven't really seen anything like that. So I'm all for it. I think that's a really great idea. 
I I think it's a great idea, and I think you you know like while the dream would be to get Steph Curry to do you know to do something like this, I don't even think mm-hmm. you need to go that like high up. Like there are there are sort of there are bench NBA players that are so much better at basketball than than even like some of these like super athletic dudes that are doing that are doing like weekend pickup games that like play every night. Like there's there's a oh, there's always this great story about um, uh, Brian Scalabrine. You know who he is? Mm-hmm. The White Mamba. The name sounds familiar. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, who's often like regarded as like the worst NBA player. This kind of big, big redheaded, you know, like a six foot eight um, bench player that kind of came in to, you know, soak up some minutes, play some defense. He was definitely the kind of guy on a team. He's a practice player, right? That's why he's on the team. Like, that's, mm-hmm. you need someone to practice against. Um, right. And I guess like post, you know, when he retired, he had to retire fairly young. He was like in his early 30s because of concussions. Um, and, and so like he kind of retired fairly young. He'd still go out and play pickup basketball and everyone knew who it was. Cause he was a pretty, you know, for like a bench player, he was a pretty notable bench player. I mean, who calls himself the white Mamba? Um, Brian Scalabrine <laughs> calls himself the white Mamba. And, um, so like these, like, you know, these like dudes who like had never, you know, maybe they played in like small college or they're really good high school basketball players, whatever would always come up, try to take them one-on-one and he would, He's like, he's like, well, sometimes I'd let him score. Otherwise, I'd beat him 15 to nothing. Like, he's, he's like, I've never, yeah. one time have I ever lost to someone playing pickup basketball because I'm an NBA player and they're not. Right. Yeah. Dude, that is a really great example. In, when it comes to real life comparisons that I can make, there's a guy that I know who's coincidentally, name is Brian, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, he played high school football at, or high school basketball at Benedictine. And then I believe he spent one or two years at John Carroll or BW, one of the mm-hmm. like smaller um, colleges in yeah. the Cleveland area. This guy, noticeable difference from anybody else on the fucking court. Like you could definitely tell that he's holding back like at times and stuff, you know, because when he would turn it on, which would be like maybe like like I don't know like 30% of the time and he would drive a lane it's like it's just so noticeable the way he handles the ball his overall like court awareness and everything like that even in his size like he was had two inches on me so like these type of people are going to come out there and like and just basically run hell and high water over the average guy yep yep so pros versus joes bring it back give us some better reference points though so we can see kind of how just how much better a an, an, an you know world class you know track star is to someone who you know casually ran track in high school because they had nothing better to do. Yeah, dude. Oh my! What I would love to have seen like Sean Spizak go up against um, somebody like pro football wise, like when we were younger, that would have been a fucking show. I guarantee oh, yeah. it. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, uh, I believe we are moving on to our next segment. Correct? We got a little commercial break here first. Yeah, we got another commercial break. Time to put time to keep the lights on. We've got to keep the lights on. Um, and this is, I believe this is going to pay. We already got our Mad Dogs paid for. I believe this should be enough for a pack of cigs for us to split. Um, so <clears throat> just want to remind everyone out there that Over the Line is brought to you by Freeze Out, the official athleisure wear of the Big Freeze himself. And I am here today to tell you about a new piece from the fall line called the Chill Zone. The Chill Zone is an extra soft, full zip hoodie made from supple pelts of thousands of endangered Himalayan chinchillas. The hoodie is lined with only moderately cruel Arctic seal fur and contains multiple hidden pockets. Perfect 
for smuggling booze and drugs into any concert or sporting event. But wait, there's more. Embedded in the top of the hood is an insulated foot-long pocket, perfect for storing hot or cold deli sandwiches. Order now and use the promo code ENDANGERED and save 10% on your Chill Zone hoodie and tell them the Big Freeze sent you. All right, uh, I guess that means we're on to our next segment. Let's, I think it's about time that we hit the phones, baby. Let's go to the phones. Bring up them phones. Hell yeah. All right, so uh, first up on the line here, we got uh, we got Surf Jones. Surf, where are you calling in from? What up, bro? Calling from Malibu. Just going to ride that wave. And <laughs> yeah, bro. Just riding that waves, man. So <laughs> surf, I <had> a... <laughs> surf, I'm going to need you to turn down the pot just a little bit. All right? Just turn it down just a little bit. And uh, what do you want to talk about today? All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Big Freeze. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to talk today about Pac-12 football attendance. Now, I... Don't know how much of this you watch. God only knows I've seen so much Pac-12 over the course of the last year. And one thing I have noticed that is fairly consistent is there's not a lot of Pac stadiums going on here. Now, there are a couple of outliers from this particular season. The largest crowd ever gathered gathered at Utah's Bryce Eccles Stadium for the USC game. Um, like I saw sold out uh, stadiums in Pullman where they where Washington state is for not just for USC, but for like other games that they had played like a little earlier on this year. Austin is always like pretty solid, but when it comes down to some of these other teams, man, like why, like even Washington university on a Friday night, there was some empty seats in there. The freaking Rose bowl where you UCLA plays a top uh, 15 team in the country empty. Most of the time, the, U, the Coliseum of L.A., there are freaking empty sections all over this place. Now, I know that Pac-12 football has not necessarily been the creme de la creme of the college football discussion over the course of the last couple of years, but and these teams are, are winning now. So, like, is it going to take more than winning for people to come back to these stadiums? I think here's, here's a big here's a big part of that problem is that at least when I'm watching some Pac-12, one, it's hard to, it's hard over in the East coast to watch Pac-12 football. Like um, unless you're interested in staying up until like 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday right. watching football, which most of us by that point are a little too drunk to do so. Um, right. Or we got other things going on, but like I've noticed it just seems like, it just seems like the marquee games in the, in the Pac-12 are taking place East. It's USC coming to Ohio State. It's Oregon playing at Alabama or Georgia. It's all of the marquee mm-hmm. games are coming over to us. And it seems like when I do, like I caught like a, a, I caught a few minutes of someone, my, my old roommate texted me about Bowling Green playing UCLA because I feel like Bowling Green scored the first <laughs> 10 points or something. And they were winning that game for a while, yeah. Yeah, and they, t- they texted me about it, but like, it was it was like twelve thirty or twelve forty five when they texted me, and I was just like, "Wait a second, they're playing UCLA right now, so that means they're mm-hmm. playing UCLA at like nine thirty in the morning, yeah. and that's a problem." There's there's this. I, I think it's just because we you're we're in this like period where the the Pac twelve while important, while important obviously on the West Coast, they're not as important in the to this you know in the grand scheme of college football collectively. It is the Big Ten and SEC right now. 
and kind of and a little bit of the ACC, but Big Ten and SEC, and kind of no one else matters right now. Um, and that sort of that sort of that sort of feeling of your school not mattering that definitely trickles down to the students. That definitely has an effect on the psyche of knowing that, like you know, you might have like a big game with upcoming with Oregon. You know, like the what they had like the Civil War in Oregon, Oregon, Oregon State. Um, it's coming up, yeah. It's gonna you know it's gonna be a big game, but there's no way if if there's a big SEC game or big or a, a big Big Ten game that same weekend, there's no way it's going to get the same coverage that it would otherwise. So I just think they're they're suffering from this sort of lack of lack of importance that the rest of the country feels, and that definitely is trickling down into the people who are fans of Pac-12 teams. Yeah, I gotta say, man, hopefully it kicks up soon because. It, it kind of sucks, like looking down at um, an aerial shot of the Coliseum on a Saturday night and you're not it's not just like spotty. You're looking at like four full sections, top and bottom that have nobody in. Them. Mm-hmm. And they and they topped they tarped off a lot of stands, too, especially like for UCLA's games at the Rose Bowl. They, there's tarps over like certain sections of mm-hmm. the stands and like. You're still like it's just like like wow, dude, like fucking unbelievable, like that. There's not that many people making an appearance there now. Like the first two, the first week of the season when it was a uh, hundred and ten degrees uh, in Southern California, yeah, I get it. Okay, like I wouldn't want to sit out in that either. But if there's a hundred and ten degrees at the Horseshoe for them playing, uh, you know, uh, South Southern Alabama State or whatever it is. That's still going to get a, a, a you know fill a, a full house. Mm-hmm. There'll be people in there like sweating their ass off and loving every single minute of it. So what you're saying here with the the psyche of just not necessarily being relevant on well not being relevant on a national scale, it's got it's got to be something like that because the these are like schools that um you know like just USC and UCLA just being like historic football programs. And they're they haven't seen a full house between them, and it makes me even wonder when the two of them play each other next week, which is going to be easily their two their each team's biggest game of the season. It's going to be at the Rose Bowl. It makes me wonder if that's even going to be filled up. And I'm I'm going to venture a guess and probably say no. Good. The good news is the good news is that this season is we're we're seeing the promise of what could be in Pac-12. We got mm-hmm. we got USC definitely making a rebound. We have UCLA really making a rebound, a surprising rebound. Um, yeah, Oregon, God. you know, after Oregon got trashed in that first game against Georgia, they have been just blowing the doors off of basically everyone. There, yeah, there's definitely some good teams out there right now. And it, hey, I guess good for the Big Ten when UCLA and USC do move to the Big Ten. Which I have, how in the fuck is that division going? Like the West division going to even work? But whatever yeah, um a lot of questions there not gonna lie a lot of questions but there. they're definitely going to be peaking at the right time to join a conference that does right now fairly or unfairly get a lot more coverage and it sort of is viewed different nationally than the pac-12 is mm-hmm. yeah dude i'm telling you i am very much looking forward to this move um i'm i'm not expecting some you know, like uh, I, I, I'm not expecting them to go in there and be ass kickers right away. I think there's going to be an adjustment period, but like in time and in and not, you know, not like 10 years or so and more like five, 
they're going to be competing and at a pretty like decent level, at least the USC will. US UCLA is still up in the air with the way Chip Kelly runs that whole thing. Part of me is just like he is running that team in a really unusual direction. He doesn't really do recruiting. He loves the transfer portal, but like I, I know USC will at least be able to be on the same level as like at least like Michigan in a, in a handful of years. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much looking forward to that, dude. I, I think that that is. That is just a fucking great move all around. And if the Big Ten can pick off uh, Oregon and Washington as well, I would welcome that in a heartbeat. I, I think, you know, we don't have to get too far into this right now, but I think that um, I think that um, the, the, there's going to be a little bit of a benefit to this too for for the for UCLA, USC, and then whoever else potentially comes with them. They're not going to have to end up playing Ohio State and Penn State every year maybe not even every right. other year um right. as as the as the conference gets bigger and bigger so it will kind of seem like a big event not it will not seem like it will be a big event when ohio state does make that make that trip out to um out to the coliseum when penn state does make a long trip out to you know us you know you, the rose bowl or even oregon it, it is mm-hmm. going to be a much bigger event when that happens yeah, it's going to be that is going to be fucking huge, dude. Like if the Coliseum doesn't get sold out at any point in time in between, those are games that would be a game that will get sold out 100 percent, mainly from either Ohio State fans that travel or Ohio State fans that live in um, Southern California and stuff. For right. Sure. But but yeah, those are going to be fucking epic. And if I go to close out this section with one quick thing is that I hate that UCLA plays at the Rose Bowl. It makes no fucking sense. It is nowhere near the campus it is such a pain in the ass of a fucking drive to get to westwood from pasadena or to pasadena from westwood and vice versa Mm -hmm. completely just completely stupid move um there's been a really cool kind of fan theory floated around about like if they were able to build something like a 50,000, 40,000 stadium um, somewhere near campus. I love this idea, but there's no room, unfortunately. And uh, making them drive out there, I just think it's such a, it's just so fucking stupid. I think it was one of those things. I, I have to assume that when they built it, it one, it wasn't that big of a deal to drive out there. And right, exactly. And yeah. two, they thought that possibly you were going to get, um, you know, that it, I mean, it is obviously it's a destination stadium, you know, for bowl games and all kinds of shit. But I'm I'm kind of wondering if they didn't think more would spring up around it. But who knows? Yeah, yeah, I guarantee you that they. Whenever this was built, it was a lot easier to get around there. Has been it's pretty much been very easy to or easier to get around Los Angeles. Um, basically prior to the eighties and nineties or whatever. So when that thing was built and they established that relationship and agreement, yeah, it was way easier to get out there and stuff. Now, like the idea of driving from Westwood to Pasadena is like, it's almost like terrifying. (laughs) Like that is not an easy drive in any capacity. Mm -hmm. And like to do it as the the team itself, it's just like, my God, you guys, you gotta be sick of that shit. Oh, they they probably stay at a hotel nearby. Guarantee. I would hope they better like that. Honest to God, if they're not, that that is like a disservice to that team. Um, if they're not staying in some type of lodging around the stadium, because yeah. my fucking God, what a just, an, it's an absolute nightmare. It's like over 30 miles from Westwood to Pasadena through the 10, which is like the busiest East West highway in 
all of California might even be the biggest east or busiest east west highway in the entire United States. And um, and then once you get through that, then you have to go through downtown L.A. traffic and then up another thing to get to Pasadena. It's just a lot, man. It's a fucking lot. Yeah. Yeah. I I I don't doubt that at all. I don't doubt that at all. All right. Uh, Surf Jones, thanks for the call. Um, you can turn the weed back up if you'd like. Um, I will definitely do that, bro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, Chema, who are, we, who are we going to next? All right. So, next on the line, we have Fat Gary in Queens. What do you got for us, Fat Gary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you fellas doing tonight? How we doing all right, Fat Gary? Yeah, we doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, fellas. Hey, listen. I want to talk about the greatest closer in the history of baseball, Edwin Diaz. Kind of. Uh, dude is throwing 100 miles per hour. He's nasty. Got some good breaking stuff. No Mets fan has ever doubted him once. Not ever. You can't prove that. Never once do we ever doubt this guy. But you know what's even nastier? His entrance, baby. Sound the trumpets. It's like a freaking movie every time this guy comes in. We got the trumpets blaring, the music pumping. The Mets broadcast pans in on him. They take him from they they take a, a behind view of him coming in from the bullpen. It is a fucking perfect. Name one sports entrance that is better than Edwin Diaz's. I bet you can't. I'll hang up and listen, boys. Later. I know exactly what you are talking about there, Fat Gary. Thank you so much. And yes, Thank I you, agree Gary. with you. Thank that- you. Yeah, no New Yorker has ever doubted Edwin Diaz. I just nope. no, no Mets fan anyway. Nope. And uh, yeah, I have seen this video and stuff. Um, it is a song is called "What Is Narco" by Blaster Jackson, yep. Trimmy, Timmy Tommy, Trumpet. Yeah, Timmy Trumpet. Mm-hmm. And this is fucking awesome. The only thing that I could think of that compares would be Rick Vaughn's entry in uh, Major League, but that is a fictional athlete, so it doesn't count. Yeah, I I think this is this is top tier stuff. And kind of as really as the Mets started to pick up steam this year and get better and better, the this kind of became a thing. And it was when Edwin Diaz really started to lock in. Like he 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 locked he locked up like fifteen to twenty saves in a row at some point, kind of midsummer, late summer. And that's when it really started to become a thing. And like the Mets broadcast, rightfully so, is perfect. Like the first time it it kind of went viral. They just had a cameraman like follow him out of the bullpen and you had I can't remember who they're don't remember who their play-by-play guy is, but like he just said, basically, we're not breaking. Sound the trumpets, let's go. And they just followed Edwin Diaz coming from the bullpen, you know, from that like sort of the low angle, like the hero shot, like in a movie. And yeah. you had all the people waving flags, going nuts. It was one of those things. I'm like, oh man, they the Mets, their instinct to just sort of stick with this over over a commercial break, best instinct. This is fucking awesome. This is the kind of stuff that like. It like like Fat Gary said, it's like watching the scene from a movie when Rick Vaughn is coming out of the bullpen. That's exactly mm-hmm. what it was like, and it's fucking fantastic. I think the closest thing we have, the closest thing we have to, especially like in recent times, is something that like is really well known. Uh, the Bulls coming out to um, what's the song? Eminence Front, I think is the song. But like the okay. Bulls entrance from like the mid you know, from the early to mid nineties when they used to come out um, when you know. It was the when it, they were the Bulls. That was the entrance. Right. That was fucking awesome too. Oh yeah, dude! I remember seeing some of that um, that footage and everything like that. With that, yeah, that was fucking awesome right there. And like when you see like this kind of um, this kind of footage and everything of this particular walkout from Diaz, like this is like the kind of production stuff that like 
would just help baseball out a little bit and everything mm-hmm. like the um the broadcast with baseball and every has come so far in like since we were growing up and stuff like that and they offer way more than what they used to and like on television um it's it's still not necessarily the same as going to the game. Like honestly, like I, I feel that the, the time goes by a little bit quicker when you're at the game. But however, like still as far as like television production goes, it's it's not a bad television production. This just gives it a little bit of extra flair. You know, it's not much. It's really like something very small in the grand scheme of things. But following him all the way is just is an awesome shot just something really really different and cool and it and it rightfully set uh you know social media and everything ablaze when uh when this video's leaked and everything like that appropriately so little dumb things like this to in, improve the production quality of baseball i'm totally all for oh 100 percent, there, there's you know when you really think about it this is like the only this is the only player in all of sports that has not not Edwin Diaz himself, uh, closers, baseball closers, mm-hmm. the only position in all of sports that has a moment like this, and it should yeah. be something for every team, especially if you have an Edwin Diaz, um, uh, Emmanuel Classe, or you know more historically you have Mariano Rivera who came out to Ender Sandman, which is also really good. Um, mm-hmm. That like this should be a huge moment when you're going when you are going to the bullpen for that guy that's going to come out and just you know, and just basically assert dominance for an inning, then it should be like a big production. It should be like a cool thing because this really is the only, again, the, you know, it's one thing to have like the team introduced, you know, you know, as starting lineups in basketball or the starting lineups in football. This is the only position that gets its own entrance, this one. So make it big, make it cool. Yeah. Do something cool and unique, whether you're going to be a John Rocker and run onto the field or, Kenny Powers and take a golf cart onto the field. This should be one of these really cool and unique moments in sports and just a way to showcase in a particular position that um, is of extreme importance, but not necessarily um, the face that sells magazines or puts butts in the stands. You know what I'm right. saying? Like it's not necessarily flashy, but it's very crucial to the game. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, thank you for the call, Fat Gary. Appreciate it. Um, I'm sure we'll be hearing from him again some point in time soon the next time we do a sports episode. Um, <laughs> but let's move on here to uh, how about we get uh, Tommy McCarty? Tommy. Yeah, Tommy. Hey, over the line. What's going on? I'm just Tommy. here. I'm at PJ McIntyre slinging a couple of drinks. Hey, put that Affliction t shirt back on. This is a family <laughs> establishment. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask you guys about the Browns. Now, there's a obviously there's a fucking lot going on with this goddamn team. We don't have to rehash everything here. We don't got that kind of time. But just as far as a simple question goes, what do you think or how do you think this particular season is going to be remembered five, ten years into the future? Oh, Tommy. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Good question. Um, fuck. You know what, Smoke? I'm going to throw it to you first. What do you think? All right. So this is either going to go one of two ways, uh, Mr. McMarty. It's going to either be viewed as one of those almost like chess pieces being maneuvered into position to do something great kind of years, or this year is going to be remembered as the first year in the greatest fucking disaster in the history of football. And the reason that I say this is because we um, are still 
have yet to see what Deshaun Watson could do on the field. All the off-field stuff is fucking terrible and awful, as we covered in the the previous episode. Mm-hmm. And um, just beyond any type of poeticism in the speech, just know that it's fucking disgusting and wrong and awful. Like, I wish I could maybe give you more of a hot poetic take on it. But at this particular point in time, I cannot. So we do not necessarily know what he's going to look like on the field. And he is either going to show up at the in the Houston game here in a few weeks, and he's either going to do really good and Stefanski and them are going to look like, oh, my God, like, you know, this whole investment thing might have actually paid off or he's going to suck. And everybody's going to have a lot of doubt going into next year as if this was a, a, a good move to do this or not. And if he doesn't deliver next year, we are going to be in, we are going to look like even more embarrassing than we already do. And it's weird for me to, to actually put this to words um, for you there, Tommy, but if you have ever thought that the Browns have hit their lowest point, I believe that there is actually a place that is <laughs> lower than going one in 32 or one in 31 over two years. There's actually a, there's like whale shit levels of load that they can get. It's still possible. I, yes. So there, I, I like, there is this sort of dichotomy that it, dichotomy that it is, it is literally make or break. I don't think there's an in between. Mm-hmm. And I think even the in-between would just count as a break. Like, it just didn't work. Um, If we, let's just say, like, let's just, you know, clearly, I like how you put this. Like, this season was about, like, moving a chess piece. And because this clearly, the move clearly wasn't, it could not be for the season to get Watson. It just, knowing full well that he was going to be suspended for, you know, at least, like, a third of the season. Obviously, ended up being more, uh, more more like two-thirds of the season. Um, that like we knew that the Browns knew that, so like this was clearly a move for the future. But it, <laughs> like, like I said, like I said last week, if they don't win a Super Bowl, w- is this even worth it? Um, is it even worth all of the people that the Browns have pissed pissed off from ownership down to the down to the the casual NFL fan? Is it going to be worth it? I don't think. I I would you know what everyone's gonna hate the Browns and the Browns fans by extension. They might as well just goddamn win a Super Bowl, even though it would kind right. of suck to put to put someone like Deshaun Watson sort of in that um, you know up in that up in that winner circle. You might as well win because it it would be more embarrassing to go like five and twelve every year, and you know have made that trade, lose all the assets, bring in this bring in this extraordinarily controversial, divisive figure. And still lose and not be good. That would be worse than going one in thirty-one. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. That is a really fucking good point, dude. And like for what this organization, this team, every what we as fans have gone through, this is the a Super Bowl is the least they could do for us. And like when it comes down to. Um, like people being owed stuff, you know, like when I say the phrase, like phrase, like they owe us this, they owe us that 90% of the time it's bullshit. It's just like an an emotive statement that, that I make that people make, you know, when they feel um, like you're discouraged or maybe put in the wrong place by something that they follow and stuff like that. You know, you guys owe us this Um, that's bullshit for the most part. This 
particular specific situation that we are discussing is the only time that I will ever say that somebody actually does owe us something. It is not bullshit to say that the team, the fucking organization, um, they do owe us a Super Bowl, and and that's it. Like that's the only way that this whole thing becomes a success because anything less than that. We just went through a lot of fucking bullshit for nothing. And like, I remember you had asked me one time um, and I, I said no wrongfully about whether or not like I would have wanted Philip Rivers as a quarterback um, and never gotten to a Super Bowl. Um, this is definitely not the case. Like, I don't want to like have Deshaun Watson for 10 years and we have um, three AFC wildcard appearances and then two AFC championship appearances that we lost. The end game is a Super Bowl victory yeah. and that's the bottom line. Yep. Yep. It, it's yeah. I, I, that's a really good, that's a really good callback because absolutely you would trade all, you would trade all the Charlie Whitehurst starts and um, gosh, just take a pick, take a, take a Spurgeon win starts for the same right. career that Philip Rivers, you would absolutely trade it in in a heartbeat, even though it didn't end in a Super Bowl. but this absolutely has to end in a Super Bowl victory. Anything else. And you, you know, Teams say that like anything less than championships a failure. I yeah sure. And by the way, the the people that own the teams don't see it that way. If they make money Correct. and they have nice and they have you know their season gets extended by the playoffs and they have a nice long playoff run, it's not a failure. Um, so it, it's it is so in that in that vein, let's just say let's just pretend that like Baker was still here and Baker Mayfield had a very Philip Rivers s career here for you mm-hmm. know fifteen sixteen seasons. Would we be disappointed that he never won a Super Bowl? Yes, obviously. We would also take the number six, retire it, and put it in the Ring of Honor. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Deshaun Watson can win a Super Bowl here. His number four is never going in the Ring of Honor. If it ever gets up there, it's going to be because it's Phil Dawson's number four. That That's exactly right. Yeah, egg fucking exactly. Yeah, this... Um... And I will tell you, Deshaun Watson, it shouldn't be about being in the Ring of Honor. It should be about winning a Super Bowl and trying to at least do something to not necessarily clear your name, but not make you look like a fucking douche, but not have history remember you like a big, giant fucking douchebag, which a lot of people will, rightfully mm-hmm. so. But this might be a nice little um, a, a nice little sprinkling of something positive that people can look back on. Hopefully, hopefully. But uh like like we we got a we got a few weeks to see we had a few weeks to get our first glance glimpse into where this might be going so boy it's going to yeah. be that first game is going to be interesting very very interesting on that one and um yeah that's going to be one that uh I'm going to have to, I will be getting up and making sure that I check that one out because that is basically, you're going to be watching the future of the franchise in one fucking game. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's get into our next caller where we are going to be speaking with a, um, a Sir Winston Gatesbury. Sir Winston, how are we doing today? <laughs> yes, I'm doing very good lads. How are, how are you young lads doing today? feeling very young very laddie Excellent. so what kind of Excellent. questions do you got for us today well i wanted to call in and give you plonkers a ring to talk a little bit about football uh, i'm sorry excuse me i believe in your country you call it soccer uh, or something that, to that is effect. correct um and you call the one where you use your hands the football which is that's complete con swallow but uh, <laughs> anyway what do you think needs to happen to raise football uh, soccer's uh, profile higher in the colonies i 
I have some ideas, but I'm curious as to what you think will make soccer more popular in America. I, now I shall hang up and listen, sirs. Oh, well, thank you very much, kind sir. And uh, I'm glad you brought this up because I, I kid you not, man. Um, I just got done watching Welcome to Wrexham. Mm-hmm. And is it, what real I'm quickly, about to say here as far as... Real quickly, worth my time? I enjoyed it. I okay. actually like you know you know about like all the how it works and stuff like that when it comes to the structures of the league and everything. So, so some of that stuff is you know like yeah, there's a lot of stuff that yeah. I found informative you might already know about okay. just cuz you, you know a little bit more about the game than I do, but I will tell you in general I enjoyed it very very much. And like I'm not necessarily the biggest documentary guy, mm-hmm. but um I, I dug it. And there's there's even a point in time in for about three episodes where Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney are not in it as much. Mm-hmm. And those episodes are really good because you're just kind of following the team around through yeah. the season and stuff. And like I I didn't keep track of the news as it was happening. So a lot of what was going on in the show was kind of newer to me, like in terms of victories and how it all ended up and stuff. So I did enjoy it very much. Um so when it comes to making soccer more popular in America, I want to tell you, this is just me speaking personally here. Um, when I was watching the show, it's weird that I, I didn't really like gravitate towards any of the players. And like, the, it, it wasn't like they're bad dudes. Like all these dudes are really hardworking, good, honest individuals and stuff. Like these are hardworking guys in great shape, playing uh, a sport at, at, at a higher level than, you know, um, like high school and all this stuff. They're playing a high level sport. It doesn't matter if they're in the national league or not. They're playing right. at a higher level. It's a, it's a professional so, soccer team, professional soccer team. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So like, I noticed that like, I just, in general, I didn't really gravitate towards any of the personalities. There were people out there that I was like, yeah, you know, like I, I would probably hang out with them, but it wasn't like, I was just like, wow, that dude looks like a really cool fucking dude. And then about, just over the halfway point in the season where they talk about the January transfer portal, they bring in this player named Ollie Palmer, who just, I could fucking hang out with this guy any day of the week. This was like the only real player that I gravitated towards. And this is like a dude, he's a bigger dude. He looks like a fucking ass kicker and stuff like that. You know, like as, as much of an ass kicker as you could possibly look in soft in soccer. Like he's got tattoos, like he's like just like a, a fun kind of jovial looking dude and stuff like that. He's, he almost kind of looks like Chris Evans with a beard and mm-hmm. or maybe just like a little bit different kind of frame and everything. And I was like – and he was just like a good time party fucking guy who was just great at, 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 at football, at soccer and stuff. So I, I don't really know like how to phrase this the best way here. But like I think there just needs to be more badass soccer personalities for people to latch on to. Like the only one that I could really think of where I was like, man, like just nobody would fuck with – like it would be Zalatan or Abramovich. Uh, I think it's Zalatan is how you pronounce the first Zlatan. name. Zlatan. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I haven't seen that name spelled out in so long. So um, like that dude just looked like a fucking – total goddamn badass like that just happens to play soccer like if he would have focused on basketball or football or anything else he probably would have been fucking awesome at those and i just like when he was playing for the galaxy like it was just really cool to like kind of see this big awesome shit kicker fucking guy out there on the field so what i think would help give soccer a boost 
in the States is to really put forward these these characters like there's these awesome jovial personalities that like are almost like just just you know trying to like just basically try to find somebody that's just like you and me you know what i'm saying just like a dude who's like likes to go out there have fun and be a badass party animal and i think that a couple more of these personalities being thrust into the limelight, like not these like elite type players like Ronaldo and stuff like that, that are just like so pretty. You don't even know if you could touch them. You know, if you could think, could I give Ronaldo a high five, even if he was asking for one? Like, I don't, I don't even know if I could do that. So like, I just think that maybe some, some cooler, like more just like how Americans, I guess, maybe like identify just party type dudes might do wonders for the sport. Now that's, that's one thing. And I'm just, this, this is just something I was thinking about just strictly off the coincidence that I just got done watching this documentary series yesterday. Um, another thing that I will say is I will put this same way with my theory on baseball, um, turn soccer into an event of some kind. Like when you see footage of LAFC playing, it's awesome, dude. The crowd is into it. There's like all kinds of, you know, banners going up and down, hanging up like really cool antics in the crowd and different chants and stuff. These kinds of things need to be pushed into the foreground, too. You almost don't even need to sport focus on the sport. You need to focus on the experience and what goes on inside those stadiums and tailgating in the lots, stuff like that. It's weird to say this, but the only way to make soccer a bigger in the States might not be to focus on the game. It's, it's, those are, yeah, those are really interesting sort of angles to approach it from. Um, I think, I, I think that they do, they do definitely do a better job um, of, than baseball of making their, their games events. But again, they also only like, play like twice a week um, you right. know, at, the, at the top end, which makes it a little bit easier. But um, I think you're definitely right with the personalities. And I think the, I think, boy, so MLS has has a lot of problems. Um, that MLS has a lot of problems. So they will, and I understand the sort of the business model, um, like you know the business model of bringing uh, Zlatan over or uh, David Villa over, um, you know, to play at your marquee. You know, David Villa was over at um, NYCFC for a little bit when they when they were like you know that that franchise was a couple of seasons old. Um, you know, you want to get like these big names in these bigger markets, um, to sort of, you know, pump up the, you know, pump up the interest in, in these big markets. But I, I, so I get that from a business standpoint, but from like a soccer standpoint, from the standpoint of developing the American game and, um, sort of promoting what is good about American soccer, it's terrible because like Zlatan was kind of, um, a little bit of a, a little bit different in that he still had years left internationally like he was still a good mm-hmm. international player when he left but like yeah. for the most part the mls is a retirement home for everyone yeah. oh, who yeah. could no longer sign a deal in the epl inter you know the um the um i can't remember the the italian leagues right now um the, you know the german leagues all of those all of those people that can no longer make 30 million pounds or whatever or you know 50 million you know 50 million lira or whatever the fuck they're making they can get a $20 million a year payday for like a couple seasons in America. Um, kick the crap out of all of the college soccer players that aren't very good. And then like retire and get a more, more than likely get also get like a piece of ownership. Um, because there's sometimes you can't really pay all that money to some of these people because you don't have right. it. Um, so 
that's that's like so like the 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 problem that I'm trying to circle back to Zoltan, great personality, definitely good for like definitely a good face for for soccer in LA, terrible face for American soccer. Um, we need a fucking American to be right. the highest paid player <laughs> in the MLS. We need an American to go, and there are definitely obviously Americans that play overseas. None of them are superstars. We need an American superstar to go over and play, um, you know, at, at Inter Milan or play in Real Madrid. Um, there needs yeah. to be there needs to be one American that is that good that everyone in America can go like, damn, look at this dude. It, it's you know this guy that played at probably you know, I don't know, probably played at Akron. Or, actually, Akron's a great soccer school. Um, right. <laughs> oddly enough, you know, someone who you know went through the pipeline at Akron and ended up, um, you know, being like a like a premier um, and. Being a you know a top shelf defender of the Premier League or something like we need that, or you know or again, we need like MLS's first actual American superstar, someone that. Part of the problem is we don't have like an American system the way a lot of other countries have. Like the Dutch have a soccer system that starts when you're like five, and you play right. Dutch style soccer from ages five until like you if you're good enough to make the national teams, um, mm-hmm. and we obviously don't have that. But there has to be more of an effort to find and sign an American player that is the next, you know, fill in the blank. The Landon Donovan or um, Tim or Tim Howard, someone like that has to stay in the MLS, has to dominate the MLS, and has to be the face of the MLS. The, the other option is to go ahead and win the World Cup. But you, if you're a betting man, you would never take those odds. Because the right. U.S. is never, until we have like three or four legit international international type star players the the united states is never going to win a world cup ever it's just not it can't happen right so that's the other option and that's the least likely option yeah no you that's a really good point there yeah the u.s isn't winning the world cup at any point in time and even any like any effort to like I guess like beef up our world cup team is just going to fall short because everybody else is just so much farther ahead of us in terms of like development of soccer teams and soccer players and all that stuff. I mean, it's, um, it's a very, it's a shot in the dark. Thank God for the women's team who go out there and fucking kick ass and stuff <laughs> right. like that on the field, on the field. Thank God for them. Right. Um, but like when it comes to, to guy soccer and stuff, it's like, I mean, there are just times where I am, I am so beyond belief in like, I guess baffled and yet confused as to like how so many people can go to a bar at like six o'clock in the morning, which I know is just another excuse to drink and like be so wrapped up in American football during the world cup. And then as soon as they're knocked out, like I don't even, I'd never see another them wearing a soccer Jersey like ever until the next time. Yep. Yep. Those, those jerseys disappear real quickly. They forget all about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. it's, it's it's one of those things and you know I'm glad you brought up the women's team too we should be paying much more attention to the women's team because they're fucking good they're really yeah. really good if you want to follow a winning team around that's a winning team um oh yes but so but it, it is funny like I also think that there's some things that like I just hate I I think we have some of the most underwhelming uniforms in all of international play in terms of like country versus country, we have some of the worst uniforms. They're so bland. They, there's nothing interesting about them. We have amongst one of the worst nicknames for a team were the Yanks. Um, of course. Um, like, okay. Like I get it, but also we can think of something better. 
Yeah. Um, it means jerking off overseas. Ex- like, exa- exactly. The, the jerk offers. Like, yeah. the, like the German national team is literally, they are so audacious because they're so fucking good. They just call themselves the team. Like, yeah. and basically like, <laughs> yeah, okay, you're the Yanks. We're the team. Uh, bring it on. Um, so like, that's part of it. And I really hate the, the chant. I believe that we will win. Good Lord. It, it sounds almost like a, more like a prayer than a, than like some kind yeah. of like battle chant. Yeah. There's, when you say the phrase, we believe that's not necessarily a going to war cry. That's more that you're right. It is a prayer. That is for sure. Definitely. I've, I've never, I've never heard like when, remember like when, um, uh, when Drew Brees, they used to, they would like would get it, you know, they get a camera on him pregame, given like the pregame pump up speech. I've yeah. never heard Drew Brees one time say believe in, in that yeah. sort of like a, in like a hopeful sort of it, it was just like dominate kick ass on three. Like that's what it was. It wasn't believe. Right. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. There's nothing um, aggressive about saying we believe or let's hope all this kind of stuff. Like you need more direct commanding and dominant um, vocabulary in these kinds of things. Like if it was a chant that's just like, yeah, we just uh, beat you and skull fucked you to death on the pitch. I could maybe get behind yeah. singing that. Yeah. But, um, you know, we believe just not a chance in hell. No, no. It's just a little too it's a little too nice. And, you know, I, I know, like, I know soccer gets, you know, kind of a rap in general about, like, you know, like how, like, you know, the, all the fake falling down and that kind of shit. I get it. Whatever. It is still a watch some of these, like, especially like the the higher level um, international leagues. Those those dudes are fucking running into each other. They're fighting each other. Like, yeah. It is it is very it's a different kind of physical. It is very physical. And like, oh. it just doesn't seem like we sort of it for whatever reason it doesn't seem like the united states is following suit yeah dude like when you watch welcome to Wrexham, these dudes are getting bloodied like there's fucking broken noses and shit on the field like and and often it's not just like a once in a while thing like you know you're talking like a couple of guys even in the show being injured and stuff like that and having to to come back and stuff and like you you'll see a guy take a a hit and then when the camera closes in on his face is just fucking covered in blood and stuff oh yeah you know so like it is a very very fucking physical game that's for sure can i I ask you one more question oh yeah go ahead oh i was gonna ask you just as a quick question do you think that it would help um gain popularity in the states if the guys didn't wear sports bras like if there was a way to not associate sports men wearing sports bras with the sport would that maybe help out (laughs) it might it might it might i i just i don't know like it's just there's so many it'll like it'll never ever be like it can't i don't think it can ever even jump hockey um in our country but it, it would be it would be kind of interesting if it does get to the point where when the World Cup does roll around, it is more than just it is more than just a novelty. Like there is something to watch. There's there's a reason to watch. You yeah. know, like we have, like I said, like there was a point in time where they had like Landon Donovan. Um, I know I'm forgetting some players from like that. It was like the 2000. I want to say the 2004 squad that like got to like to to the, the round of 16 or whatever. Um, like they won mm-hmm. their group stage, and like they took someone, they took someone to like penalty kicks or something. Like it was a really this like it was like the best effort that the U.S. has like ever had, um, yeah, in the World Cup. And that was something like you knew that they weren't going to win, but it was something to watch because like you were seeing at that point in time these young superstars that like man, these like some of these guys really could be like the next you know maybe our first American stars 
could be those right. could be the first ones, and they to varying degrees got there, but really didn't get there. So. Yeah, yeah, I got you, dude. I got you. And I will tell you, I could not recommend Welcome to Wrexham. Um, it's number one just because I'm a fan of both Ryan Reynolds and Rob mm-hmm. McElhaney. Like, just I like those guys. I, I I like that they did something like this. And I will tell you, like, once you get to the episode um, where they do the, the, the January transfer portal type um, coverage of the episode – and they get this guy named Ollie Palmer, your entire, my entire like appreciation for the team changed mm-hmm. just because they got this ba- like a badass cool dude. And like, if you do watch the show, let me know, like, just, I guess like, let me know if your um, interest or investment in the team ticks up at all because they got this guy. Because okay. for me, it, it really like, this is just a dude that like you and I would totally hang out with. This is by far and away, I think the most, Chema and Pagel guy that they brought onto the team. And gotcha. it just, it, for some reason, it really just it kicked up my investments in it a lot more. Gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, real real quickly here before I lose this thought. So um, the the Ottawa Senators are going to be they're up for sale sometime in the near future. And there is like all these people were tying Ryan Reynolds to being part of the ownership group. Um, that might buy the Ottawa Senators um, hockey team. They're obviously the capital, and it was funny to me. Like the like a lot of the articles because like they you know they mentioned that like, he well he owns a soccer team, and I'm like okay, he might be part of an ownership group, but like this is where the Ottawa Senators are. Or I should say Wrexham AC is not is not the Ottawa Senators, and. When I say that, I mean he and McElhenney bought Wrexham for like two million pounds or something. It's like two point four million dollars. Right. Um, yeah. That's paltry. If he wanted to be in an ownership group buying the Senators and NHL teams generally are um, of, of of all the major American sports, they're at the bottom. They're usually at the bottom tier of of the the valuation, and it still would be like seven hundred million dollars to buy the Ottawa Senators. Um, probably right. <laughs> more than likely, they're probably even closing in close to a billion dollars. Um, Ryan Reynolds, as I don't know if people think he's like, I mean, he's obviously rich, but he is not by a hockey team rich. There are very few people in Canada or the United States that are by a hockey team rich. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, even in the beginning of the show, the first episode, Rob, because the idea originated with Rob. So Rob was like, yeah, you know, this would be something cool to do. But like, I only have TV money. I need somebody who's got um, like all the different business ventures that Ryan Reynolds is involved in. And like, you see them bid on this team for like, for like $2 million or whatever. And like, yeah, I mean, I don't have $2 million. Like I would, that's an impressive feat um, by my opinion and stuff. But like, there is a world of difference between what's going on there with a 10,000 person arena and stuff than anything in the NHL. I mean, you're, it is just like, you could, you could see it and you could feel it that it's just two completely different things. And Ryan Reynolds would have to, sell all of the things that he's evolved in and then bet it on a long shot take those profits, invest it in something else. And then after five years, maybe he's got like close to a billion dollars to, to do something like that. You yeah. know? So it, it's, it's um, a different, the people that own sports teams are not, they are, they're playing and it, they're basically buying sports teams because 
they're they have like a billion dollars to waste on something. Right. That's yeah, why they're exactly. buying them. They're like, well, I could lose a billion dollars this year. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think that people really get a, like an idea. Like, it's not just like Jimmy Haslam has got one billion dollars and that he wants to buy a sports team. It's not like Jimmy Haslam saved up one billion dollars with the goal of buying a sports team. The Browns are like a very, very small piece of the Haslam financial pie, yep. <laughs> and a lot of the there. So he's got many, many billions of dollars. Like many. Like Deadpool would have to. Deadpool three would have to um, beat <laughs> Titanic a thousand times over have to beat avatar a thousand times over and um that still wouldn't even necessarily get ryan reynolds the, the money himself it's, you know what i'm saying like, it's bizarre when you begin talking about like when um roman abramovich had to sell chelsea um because he was kicked out of the ownership because he's one of putin's boys um right it um actually an american was like the head of the of the ownership group and like it was like almost six billion dollars for a mm-hmm. soccer team and i'm just like who has six billion dollars to just go? Yeah, it's fine. Let's let's. Yeah. I'm gonna buy Sign this because up. I'm gonna. You know, it's six billion dollars, but also I'm gonna be richer at the end. So, yeah, that is a whole other level of money that like it's just unfathomable um, to to me to just like to have that sitting around and all right, yeah. So you guys want to buy a hockey team and uh, yeah, so we're still going out to dinner in a couple hours, yep. right? Like just to have it's just it's something that I will never understand. Mm-hmm. And by the way, real quickly, um, thanks for our, our first call from across the pond. I, I mean, we yeah. don't usually get British people calling in. You can tell he's British from that really great accent, um, that accurate right. British accent. So that was that was big time. Inter- we are international now. Yeah, it's good to be world renowned. Definitely. All right, let's move on to our next caller. Here we got. Uh, looks like it might be some kind of misprint. Dave Davies. Is it no same first and last name are the same? Almost. Yeah, like Ray Davies from the Kinks is my uncle. Yeah, so I'm glad. Oh. Uh, you know, glad to finally get uh, on the call. Like a longtime listener, first time caller, and stuff. Oh, thanks, sure. Dave. Oh yeah, you bet. Not a problem. So what's Calling what's going on, man? All right, so I wanted to discuss um, LeBron and Bronny playing together, which has been like a popular story. Like, and LeBron said himself, you know, he would like to play with the son and everything. And um, you know, as a as he gets to the end of his career, this is a, a really cool milestone. And if I was a father, sharing the court with with my son would be a, a great experience for me and everything, and mm-hmm. also a phenomenal a phenomenal story for the NBA. It's a great human interest story and everything, you know, but like what I want to talk to you about today is I don't want to like get into the human interest stuff. I just need to ask straight up, like is a, is doing what you have to do to acquire what would be, and this is like, you know, provided we're on the fast track here, a 39 year old LeBron James and a, like Bronny's rated four stars, but it's not like he's coming in from one year of college and is going to be like Kate Cunningham or Zion or anything mm-hmm. like that. So is this like a good move for a basketball team to put a lot on the line, break the bank, do whatever you have to do to bring LeBron and his son to your organization at this particular time and at their, in their careers? Oh boy, Dave, this is a great great question because I think this is a, this is kind of a no-brainer move for the poverty franchises in the NBA. The ones that just yeah. suck and aren't drawing anybody, no one's interested. This is a this is a no-brainer move. 
that like of course let's get LeBron draft his kid. There's there's that's going to be an immediate boost in ticket sales. And you know like I I think um, <clears throat> Dave, thanks for the call. Smoke, I'm going to get you bring in here real quick. Um, I think that LeBron is still a very good player, but I think we've seen the last couple of years, probably the last two to three years, he's definitely not a top ten player anymore. But still still a great player still has those nights where he absolutely is a top 10 or even top five player but they're just not as they're just they're becoming farther and you know fewer and farther between um Mm -hmm. so i mean you'd still be getting a good basketball player but you clearly wouldn't be there's i don't think there's going to be any team in the league um a competing team in the league that says we need to get lebron and then draft his son but the poverty franchises Absolutely. They'll do it. They'll do it without question. <laughs> yeah. I When I hear about this situation, I think of the John Goodman movie, The Babe, and how at the end of the movie, Babe Ruth is overhearing a conversation with the owner of the Red Sox, like whichever team, no, no, it's a Boston team. It's like some whatever team that he's on. Um, he's overhearing this conversation about how, hey, we got this sideshow, we got Babe Ruth here, we're going to pack seats in the house, and he basically learns that, Mm -hmm. you know, he's just like a puppet, you know what I'm saying? It's like they're not even treating him like a real player or definitely not one of the greatest players ever played the the game, which, you know, he definitely was so dominant back then. So what I'm seeing here is what you said before, with the poverty franchises, this is something that they are going to fucking foam at the mouth over. Like, this is definitely a way to get people into the stadium the Sacramento Kings would jump all mm-hmm. fucking over this. Okay. This is like something that's just almost designed for them. But if you're a competing team, and I mentioned this specifically because we have a competing team in Cleveland, that is a really great reference point for this considering Braun and Bronny are from Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. If you are the Cleveland Cavaliers, you do not do this right nope. now. You fucking do not do this at all. And, like, I know LeBron still got like, some contract stuff to work out, but let's just say they were even somehow able to, like, yeah, we'll let you out of your contract, maybe try to work up a trade. They're going to want something that is way more valuable than LeBron. Like, I, the Lakers might want Evan Mobley and um, Darius Garland or Karis LeVert for LeBron James, and I wouldn't do that at no. all. Like, I just no. wouldn't do that at all. And Ev- Evan Mobley, the, uh, I don't care what trade you're making for whomever. Evan Mobley is an untouchable unless you get an Evan Mobley player back. It's like, yeah, you just, you can't make a move like that. Right. And there, there are few Evan Mobley players that I would even feel comfortable trading for. Like, I don't even know if I would trade Durant for Mobley right I'm now. Not and at that's, this point. Nope. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what's going on here is just a really great human interest story. And as me, like, you know, like I, I'm a fan of LeBron. He brought us our only championship during the course of my lifetime. So, like, I want him to go out on whichever note he feels is appropriate for him to go out on. And if it's playing with his son, the more power to him. But, like, I am not rooting for the team that I root for to make a decision like this. And I could just only hope that um, people out there, um, especially, like, in Cleveland sports management and Cleveland Cavaliers front offices – don't fall into this like trap, you know, and if you are going to get them, 
just get him, get LeBron on some kind of like money contract. Maybe after his Lakers contract expires, don't give up anybody for him. Give him something small. Give get Bronny in here. Let them play, and then give LeBron the Vegas team to go run, and then maybe Bronny can play with him there. Yeah, I think so. Like at least as far as I know, in our lifetimes, the only other example of this that we have are the the Griffies, Ken Griffey Jr. Yep. Senior playing together. And mm-hmm. I think it was it's very different in baseball because at that point in time in his career, Ken Griffey Sr., who was a very good player, um, you know, on those uh, big red big red machine teams in Cincinnati back in the day, but he was still a pretty good player. But a baseball team is bigger, and you have room for someone who's a utility player, and that's what he was. Mm-hmm. Um, what, yeah, he kind of was in Cincinnati too, kind of like a you know more than a utility player, but um, but you have the room to sort of put someone like Ken Griffey Sr. On the bench, let him play. You know, a couple times a week, gets him at bats, play a little outfield, um, whatever. You don't have that room on a basketball team to right. accommodate. And actually, I really don't think it would be for LeBron. I think it would be for Bronny. Would be right. sort of the, um, you know, the guy that you're, you know, again, like you said, Bronny's definitely like a, um, a a pretty solid collegiate prospect. But there's plenty of solid collegiate pro- prospects that never even sniff an NBA court. Um, yeah, because it's it's just it tightens down so much. You know, there's so few that play that play in the NBA. Um, so I think you would have to kind of you you can't think of unless unless Bronny goes to you know UCLA or some other place wherever he wants to play Ohio State, unless he like really tears it up and is clearly like a top five type draft pick player. I think that if you're a team like the Cavs, if you're a team like Boston, uh, Miami, if you were to take that sort of chance on both LeBron and Bronny that like Bronny has to be like the like the guy that you're drafting and like the explicit purpose is to like let him learn for a couple of years and yeah. there's just not that many spots on again on the Miami roster on Cleveland's roster on Boston or uh the Clippers there just aren't spots like that because they're all of the all of those spots are going towards people who can help them win a, win a title no, definitely, dude. Yeah, I could not agree with you more on that. It'll be interesting to see how this whole thing pans out. But like, unless you're right, like Bronny just absolutely lights it up in college. It might be a few years before he even gets onto the NBA level. We're talking developmental league stuff. And even by then, LeBron could be in his 40s. You know, who knows if he even makes it. I mean, I yeah. think he'll probably still be in great physical shape for a 40 year old guy. You know, he spends so much on his body every year, but um, to like think that a 42 year old LeBron James is going to be in playing shape or even maybe even still want to play who the hell knows if he's still going to want to play at that point in time. I'm assuming he will, but uh, there's just other things to consider. It's not just like you're, you're not just getting this father and son explosive package deal. It's not the case. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and he's actually said before he'd love to play with Bryce too. And yeah. Bryce is definitely the Bryce is the better prospect. He's much bigger. Um, like right. he just is. He just has a much thicker build. He looks more like LeBron than Bron. I mean, they both look like yeah. LeBron, but I mean, he's built more like LeBron. Um, but I mean, my goodness, that puts him at like forty four, forty three, or something. Um, right. Like it's just it's just too man. That that that's just like a lot of that is a lot of basketball yet left to be played. I, I hope he I hope he would be satisfied, and I think he would be playing against one of his kids. That would be yeah. That would be incredible to see 
you know, let's say Bronny's like ends up with the um, with the Magic or the Oklahoma City Thunder or something, that would be cool as hell to see Bron and and Bron and Bronny share a share a hug, share a pregame dap right before the game starts. That would be fucking cool. Yeah, it would be so awesome too to like watch Bryce put him on a poster and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Oh, you you know that would be, you know there would be almost like a there, you know that there would almost be like a first, first time we get we're getting the ball to Bronny, everyone clear out, let him take his dad down, let him take his dad down yeah. the post, see what he can do. Yeah. Oh my God, the memes that would be birthed out of that would uh-huh. be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so like I for the memes. I actually think that would, I actually think them playing against each other would be even more fun than them playing together. Yeah, that would actually be pretty cool, too. You got that right. <laughs> All right, man. So let's move into our last caller, Chim Rickles. How are we doing today, Chim? Uh, it's Chim Rickles. Chim Rickles. Uh, Rickles. Pretty good today. Uh, I just want to say that, you know, the, the NFL was finally forced to do something about their concussion protocols recently. You know, we we all know the NFL only reacts when they have to do something. They absolutely have to do something. Had Tua Tagovailoa gotten concussed that badly in practice, away from the cam and away from the cameras, there's no way the NFL would have changed their own safety guidelines. No possible right. way. But I'm not here explicitly to talk about that. I'm here to find out what you think about what football looks like in 20 or even 50 years. Flag football is already becoming more and more popular. The Pro Bowl is replacing their game with a flag football game. Is this where we're heading? Where in possibly even in our lifetimes that the NFL no longer is tackling people. We're ripping flags off people. Oh man. So that's a really fucking great question. And like, I know that flag football is getting popular. I know that I just, at a professional level, I'm not entirely convinced that we're going to be going in that direction. It's weird. If anything, I think the game is probably going to look a lot like Starship Troopers, but with face masks instead of um, <laughs> those weird kind of helmets that they were wearing. Like my, and this is my my thought beyond. There's just something about tackling that, to me, is it seems like it's always going to be a part of the game. I almost think that that might be almost like the one kind of one of a few non-negotiable elements about football. And you're right. This whole thing with Tua and this concussion protocol are absolutely just awful and stuff like that. I don't think Mike McDaniel handled that um, the best way either. And no, stuff like no that. one, the, 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 no one associated with the Dolphins or the NFL handled that well at all. Yeah, it was just like an absolute fucking mess. And he could have been in some real goddamn danger, like had he continued on playing and didn't take that break and stuff. Because if I'm not mistaken, it's like he gets hit. And then still goes out and plays like either it's either the same game or what, like the week later Tua goes out there and plays four four days later, four days later. Yeah. So definitely a stupid fucking move on, on behalf of that. And like, they got really, really fucking lucky here and stuff. And like, I mean, we're just like Mike McDaniel's luck of the Irish just definitely came down upon him for that day and stuff. I wish he dressed a little better on the sidelines, but that is neither here nor there. So he's he's a um, gen he's a Gen Z coach to be sure. I mean, I know he's like 36, 34 or something yeah. like that, but I mean like he's like a Gen Z coach. 100% dude, definitely. I th- I think like, I saw I think I saw him wearing a chill zone hoodie um on the sideline yeah. actually. Yeah, you know something? I thought I saw him wearing something like that and also shoes that make him look three inches taller with sweatpants on, <laughs> yes, too. Yes. 
So it's a whole, that's a whole other thing there. Yeah. So like I, um, I noticed this thing about flag football. Okay. So flag football, um, in terms of the pro bowl is the right goddamn move. Okay. Like, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It, yeah. Like it is just a dumb idea to be putting people that play a physical game like football, that they make their living off that, that are, and that are also the prime talent in the league, it makes absolutely no sense for them to be taking any hits that are not part of the regular season practice the playoffs or the Super Bowl. Like that is just where I stand on this. I remember as a kid, I kind of thought the Pro Bowl was cool. Um, but as I got older, it just became really fucking it just became like, why? You know what I'm saying? And then they, especially when they changed it to have it be before the Super Bowl. It's just like, really just no guys, this is just a fucking, we need to get rid of this thing. So what happened in the Pro Bowl, I believe to be the appropriate decision. What I see in the rise of flag football, um, whether it be like, particularly let's focus on little leagues here. This I think is actually a really good move to get kids used to the game itself. Now, especially at a young age. And then it almost, it's almost like, um, like when we played baseball as kids, you start off as T-ball, then you go into manager pitch where you're there for a year. And then after that, it was like two or three years of kid pitch. And then you could decide to get into the traveling leagues or the stuff that you play baseball, like in middle school and stuff. I can't, I don't think you had middle school baseball teams. I could be wrong on that too. But, um, so flag football, when you're younger, just seems to make sense as part of a natural evolution into the game itself. So you start off when you're younger, you get the flags on you, you learn to run around, you learn plays, you learn some kind of like technique and form and in a non-hitting context. And then as you get older and as your body is able to withstand hits better, you get better acclimated into the game as what we know it. Um, like when it comes to what pro football is going to look like. I, I still see there being hits. Um, we might be looking at a lot more targeting style penalties or maybe even some kind of newer penalty that's invented for hard hits. But I, I think that we're still going to see them. Um, I, I believe the uniforms are just going to be um, like, you know, we'll be looking at pads. You'll still have shoulder pads on, but they won't necessarily maybe be all bulky, like materials and science are going to evolve to maybe where they have better padding on you. That's just not as bulky and stuff. So I can maybe see them wearing stuff like that. But in general, I just, I'm not seeing the hard hitting element of football being removed from the game. <sighs> Like it could take a hundred years for that to happen, but I could be wrong. That's just my thoughts. What do you think on that? Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> you you do bring up some really really salient points, and I I think that it's just it's very hard for us to picture something changing that radically in fifty years. But the NFL, well, before it was even the NFL, football did change very radically in like short periods of times prior. Um, they allowed players to throw the ball forward. Uh, which was a very, very radical right. change from what football was pr previously, but there were even like tackling rules that changed radically that act that changed that really changed the game significantly. Um, that might mm -hmm. have had they not changed them, football might not exist today. So, like the biggest rule change was that like you weren't down until you stopped moving. Um, so like tackles continued, plays continued on. It was like rugby. Plays just continued until like you kept someone from moving any further. And yeah. a lot of the people that were involved with the sport, I feel like 
I feel like this was like a at the, I feel like this was um boy I want to say this was um like Teddy Roosevelt had some kind of like athletic commission look into football because like Teddy Roosevelt Roosevelt played football like in its early you know like back before like it really was even recognizable as football and right. he enjoyed it and he thought it was he thought it was a game that like could that he like he enjoyed it but he also enjoyed like the sort of the leadership aspects the team building aspects but he thought like if in this current state there's no way this game can continue on it's just too violent and it's too stupid um so they changed it I, I believe this is Teddy Roosevelt I could be wrong but I believe it's from this athletic commission that Teddy Roosevelt had that football went through a lot of changes including the way the way you're allowed to tackle the way the tackling was made the line of scrimmage some of these rules that kind of set the stage for what football would become. And that was done, like, in a couple of years. Um, yeah. So I think it's hard to see what it might look like 50 years down the road. But I, it, it's entirely, like, here's something that here's something that we are learning. There is no such thing as a safe, as a brain-safe game of football. You can put any kind of helmet you want on. You can put any kind of padding you want inside of it. You can shape it however you want. There is no way to keep your brain from colliding with your skull when you get hit. Um, right, and at some point in time, there's it's a possibility. I, you're right. Like I, it would it would really suck if football did stop being football. But there could be a point in time where the science says there is no safe version of this game for your head. So we have to change what the game is, and it mm-hmm. could be within fifty. I think I think it's longer than that. But you know, it, all it all it is all it's going to take is something like that to attack by Loa injury to result in like actual traumatic brain injury. Before at least the at least there's a discussion about what they're going to do with you know with with the rules and how the game gets played. Yeah, there's like once science starts to dictate something, I think they'll have no choice. You know, because you're you're going to be up Shit's Creek without a paddle in terms of lawsuits and everything like that. And I don't care like how many waivers somebody can sign when you're looking at serious brain injury that could literally take somebody who like to, who's a big, strong, in shape fucking dude and turn them into the exact opposite of that. Like somebody who could barely function with their like motor skills and all this stuff, maybe can, could barely recite their own name, whatever it might be. And that I know that is a little on the extreme side, but um, once we, once science starts to dictate that and there's actual evidence of it and you could bring it into a lawsuit, no matter how many waivers are signed, somebody is going to find a way to get around those waivers. And like, there's dude, that's just how the legal system works. Like mm-hmm. there are things that happen and then there are things that are supposed to happen and things like protections that are taken to protect people from things that might happen and stuff like that. And the minute something does happen that's outside of a waiver or outside of any type of contract, if it's serious enough and that person then goes around and hires the right legal staff to represent them, something's going to change. They'll take that waiver. That waiver will become fucking toilet paper. And when it gets to the courts and there, they may, it may be appealed to death, but when it gets to the courts and with a high enough priced attorney, or even like an attorney that, um, could really win over a courtroom and the court of public opinion at the same times, things are going to change. I just don't necessarily know the details of what that would be. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, that's actually probably the most important point there. If it costs the NFL too much money, then they'll change. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and like even even then, 
what do we what is going to be the thing that costs them enough money is, is it one player two ten players going through serious brain damage like how many what are the numbers of victims people affected by this also um and the correlation between how much money that they are going to lose like what is that number going to be like mm-hmm. and you got to think about like what they have gone through in terms of scandals that they're just kind of like brushing to the side and hey let's just keep going we got ray lewis fucking beating up his wife we got deshaun watson and got ray lewis murdering uh, people <laughs> murdering people yeah we got him murdering people um kareem hunt beating up his girlfriend we got deshaun and all this sexual misconduct stuff like i i personally believe that in the eyes of the the upper management owners they don't even fucking care like if kareem oh, hunt puts 200 yards on the field they'll give him a girl that they could beat that he could beat up every week and then they'll just pay her and hey you just go live your life with a couple black eyes because they don't care they don't care about the fucking victims like you know hey like you know let's give we'll make october breast aware october breast cancer awareness month everybody will wear pink that'll make women happy we can make women's jerseys that'll make them happy they don't give a shit so like um it's it's just i almost feel that like Whatever it would be that gets the NFL to change is probably going to be something very scary. And I don't even really know if whatever that is, you and I have the ability to, number one, think about what what that would be or even hypothesize scenarios. And even if we were to, they would probably be very fucking scary. (laughs) You're probably right. You're probably right. Um, Important lesson here is that... um... The, that uh, that billionaires didn't become billionaires because they give a shit about any of us, um, right? That's, you don't you don't make billions of dollars by caring about um, individuals, you know, protests and needs. You make a billion dollars by finding uh, you make not even just a billion, multiple billions of dollars by figuring out exactly how much money you can lose and how much money you how to how to make more of it. That's how you right. get to that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Believe like look at every corporate structure around here, like. What Walmart would, how the amount of effort that Walmart would battle to giving their employees an extra 25 cents raise is just astounding. They would go to war for that 25 mm-hmm. cents an hour. Cost, and, cost them less than actually doing it. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. It's a better investment to hire an attorney to fight it than it is to pay somebody. And that's how they think. There's yep. no such thing as compassion. And if for people out there that, like, you know, hey, by the way, like, oh, so-and-so is such a great company. They're always giving us stuff for free. They're only doing that because they're making money off of it in some way, shape, or form. These corporations don't give a fuck about you. Yep. Yep. That is correct. That is correct. All right. Uh, I believe that's all I believe that's all the time we have for our callers. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for calling in. Um, let's, uh, we got another commercial break here, correct, Chema? Yeah, we got another attempt to, uh, put some more Mad Dog or more cigarettes into our body, so let's fucking do it here, shall we? Yeah, let's go. All right. Are you happy? Do you wonder what it's like to be mad at everything all the time? Are you the type of person that sees somebody yelling at a server or at a cashier and says, I want to be just like them? Well, boy, do we have the treatment for you with 
Agrizol. Agrizol is a revolutionary breakthrough on the path of a more confident and direct lifestyle. Agrizol takes those inner emotions you're too well adjusted to convey and puts them on display for the entire world to see. Someone just cut you in line? Just pop an Agrizol and put them in their place. In fact, take one every time you're feeling angry. Hell, there is no limit. You can take whatever you want because just like anger, Agrizol knows no limits. Only take Agrizol as prescribed by a doctor or someone who is a member of an anti-vax Facebook group. Do not take Agrizol on an empty stomach with citrus, diet soda, alcohol, or water. If you do take Agrizol with water, try drinking alcohol to counter the side effects, which include headache, dry mouth, runny nose, fatigue, nausea, wet mouth, herpes, fever, <laughs> worsening nausea, hallucinations, and uncontrollable sweating. If symptoms get worse, see a funeral director. Agrizol is only to be taken orally, unless you're into weird stuff, then it's probably okay to take it anally. Ask your doctor if Agrizol is right for you. All right, let's, uh, we're on our way out the door. Let's just real quickly, a little, a couple of lessons we learned today, something that we both learned from the show today. Well, for the first thing, definitely learn that uh, billionaires do not give a shit about you. That is a kind of a common thread whenever we talk about uh, the NFL and sports and everything like that. And then uh, the other thing that, that I learned is that, um, you know, dude, we said some fucking like I, we had great callers. Like this was a learning thing. Like I got a lot out of this and stuff, whether it's the whole soccer in America discussion or even just like what the future of football. Like I, I definitely got out a lot, a lot out of this through our great callers that we had. Yeah, it, un, undoubtedly, we have the best callers in all of sports podcasting. Um, no doubt about it. Second to none. So that's for sure. Putting that up there as, as well with you. And also, man, I I really I really, really think that sometime, sometime in the near future, we're really going to see, um, we're going to, just because of the way college football is going, we are finally going to be getting towards regular season, where like the NFL can pump up a regular season game between, you know, Mahomes and, uh, and Allen, uh, you mm -hmm. know, Bills, Bills Chiefs, how you can pump up the, um, you know, some kind of historic, uh, like, uh, Steelers Patriots kind of matchup or something like that. The way that the way that college football is going, every couple of years you're going to be able to pump up. Oh, it's Ohio State USC. Um, it's it's Texas Alabama. Like you're we're we're finally getting to the point where we're gonna we're gonna have more of those games. And I know the college football purists are so fucking worried about it. And I'm like, hey, look, more regular season games that matter. Isn't that right. good? Isn't that a good thing? Yeah. That is a good fucking thing. And I will tell you, like, you want Ohio State USC, you want Michigan USC. This is like basically taking teams and franchises and rivalry or schools and rivalries that are historic and bringing them into life on a modern day context. All those fucking old people that used to sit around around the TV and just wait for New Year's Eve when Ohio State would play USC or Michigan would play USC in the Rose Bowl, you are going to get that in the regular fucking season. You're not going to have to wait till January to get that. You're going to get it in the regular yep. season. And for teams like Ohio State that every single year, with the exception of this one, like at least that I could say in, in modern time out of the last few years, I should say um, that always bitch about strength of schedule and all this stuff. 
this is the point in time to put that discussion to shame and to give the Big Ten a leg- like to give them the strength of schedule that they that the, the the best that they were able to put together and to like finally wipe out this argument from um from the zeitgeist. Even though I know it'll still be there because everybody loves the strength of schedule discussion, but I will tell you that. Um, it is going to be a really hard fucking sell when you are like, yeah, Ohio State played nobody when they played Michigan, USC, Penn State, um, UCLA, and their big non-conference game. Yep. It's going to be a big fucking – it's going to be so hard to even have that discussion when these Big Ten teams are playing five and six legitimate fucking games a year out of a 12-game schedule. If half of your schedule is big games or games that are important or against good teams, even if the teams might not even be ranked. You know what I'm saying? They might just be like a, a 3-0 and or a 4-0 and school trying to break mm-hmm. into the top 25. You're going to get much better regular season games. And when you're sitting around in um, October or November watching Michigan play USC either at the big house or down in Southern California, you're going to be like, man, dude, this is just such a better game than Michigan playing Maryland or Michigan playing fucking Rutgers or something like that, even though they're still going to have those games, Mm -hmm. but it's going to feel like the teams played hard, challenging games the whole year. Cause I, I will be the first person to say this at a minimum, at least like the last, like with the exception of this year, Ohio state played one or two games a year, you know, you had Penn state in the out of conference game. And sometimes the out of like 2018, when the out of conference game was TCU, like, come on, like, are we really going to say that like Ohio state had such a difficult schedule, but like, just wait till that schedule includes an out of conference game. And all the teams that I just mentioned, people are going to be fucking loving it. They're going to be loving it. They're only going to want to play those teams just to give them a free one or whatever. And with the playoffs expanding, whenever it does, I think 2025 is sort of like the, the idea, you know, to, to expand out to 12, you're not mm-hmm. dead if you lose one of those games. So, right. a t- you know, so if if you open up with Oregon, Ohio State, and, one, you know, whoever wins or loses that game, they're not dead like they kind of would have been previously. And, right. and again, we talk, you know, the, the purists who always talk about meaningful games, well, what if, like, let's, let's say Ohio State loses that game and they rip off 10 wins in a row? Including like a big win over a USC and a big win over Michigan, um, they're not. Not only are they not dead, they you know you know what I mean. Like those those late season games are now important because they're not dead. Like right. if, if, in previous iterations, especially when you go back to like the BC the BCS era, if you lost an early season game, done. You're you right. You have to hope that like three or four other marquee teams lose at least once, possibly twice. Yeah, exactly, dude. And I'm going to I'll reinforce that with with some Pac-12 statistics here. USC this is this past year was the first time in close to 10 years, maybe even longer, that they went through an entire September undefeated. Now a lot of these like going back to trap games, non-conference games, playing Notre Dame early and stuff like that, yeah. like and they're then they're out of it. So like if you're a fan of USC football and you lose a game in September to whether you're supposed to lose it or not, you're going to be taken out of that. There's no fucking chance for you. And then that entire that starts a trickle down effect that leads to a 60 percent capacity coliseum on a Saturday night. Now, if 
with the new expanded playoffs, you could have that loss in September and there's still something in it for you. You know, you could have that loss in September, still went out and go play Oregon or, or Ohio state or Michigan at the last game of the season or, yep. or two game, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and that is still going to be worth it for you. This is a way to bring fan bases back in there because of the way that college football has been set up is that if you basically lose one or two games, you're out. So you lose your one game early. If you're not a super hardcore dedicated, dedicated fan base, you could just basically go, you go fucking pick apples during the, the fall of every yep. Saturday if you wanted to. And Absolutely. it doesn't make any difference. Absolutely. So like Keep, this, it's not, it's not like the NFL struggles to get people to watch late season games. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So this is this is a great move. Like in I have a feeling that um, what people are going to take away from this early playoff era is um, like, hey, by the way, this was a really interesting trial period. Um, I think that it consolidated a lot of talent to a very, very small field, which those schools are still the Alabama, Ohio State's Clemson's like, we you know, I fucking hate Dabo and I'm glad they lost, but like Clemson is a top draw in the mm-hmm. ACC. So like it concentrated talent to those schools. Now those schools are still going to get top talent, but some of the, you know, like there'd be no reason for Ohio State to have three, five-star quarterbacks. Like there's just, you have a five-star on the field and then two five-stars on the bench or whatever. Mm-hmm those two five-star quarterbacks that are on the bench might find themselves elsewhere and might have success. So like, you know, I, like I said, I still believe they're going to get talent, but it might in some way, shape or form spread some talent out. Um, now that there's an expanded playoffs. Hopefully, hopefully it's, believe me, I, I love, I love that I, that I, that I have a team that I cheer for that is sort of the evil empire. Because yeah. none of my other teams are the, like are the evil <laughs> right. empire by any stretch, so it is kind of nice. But also, like it, all every single sport is better when there's at least not necessarily league wide parity, but when you have like a, a handful, like six to eight teams in the NBA or the NFL that can win a title. That makes the league. Yeah. There's more teams to watch. There's more players to watch. When when the Warriors broke basketball by getting Kevin Durant. It, that was granted the Cavs were involved every year, but like you knew, you knew the outcome. It it was yeah. over. It was done with. You knew the outcome, barring, you know, it took two injuries for the Raptors to beat them. Right. Mm-hmm. Two key, key player injuries, injuries not no just yeah. yeah. <laughs> two Durant and Clay Thompson had to go out for them to win. Right. Exactly. So like this, I you know this idea of. Um, spreading a little bit of talent around and like, dude, you're right. It is cool to like kind of root for like an evil empire team. It's definitely something that this is the only way we're going to get it is through Ohio state football. Yes, it's not yes. happening anywhere else, but like, you know, like it's, it's awesome to, to have that and stuff, but like in general, it's, it's bad for the sport and stuff like that. And it's even worse for the sport when out of the top four teams that get all the talent, two of them are in the same fucking conference. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, it, it, so while everybody, you know, we you know these people can't control where these kids want to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, so they're definitely Ohio state and Alabama, Georgia are going to have their pick of the top, uh, the, the creme de la creme and stuff. Mm-hmm. But with an expanded playoff, and now that people are going to have the option to play for a national title, you might see P5 
people decide to go elsewhere and this like this could honestly be the sport could be like how it was in like the fucking 90s it's almost like it seemed like the like just there were more um more teams that were active in like the top 25 and stuff oh for sure oh for sure miami nebraska texas um were all involved washington was a good team um yeah washington yeah yeah you had much more involvement from teams everywhere yeah dude i some i follow this uh twitter feed it's like see it it's cfb something or other and they do i don't know they they do stuff like game time predictions as college football facts like all day every day mm-hmm. one time randomly they posted a top 25 from like 1993 or something like that and like it is you're looking at this and you're like what like oh, this colorado is, this <laughs> washington <laughs> yeah yeah it's like holy fucking shit like this is what the game looked like and I'm not saying in any way, shape or form that like um, that everything was equally competitive back then because it, it wasn't. There no, were teams out there that, that were dominant and everything, but at least it felt a little bit more like any team stood a chance, like any team could be super competitive against another team. It didn't feel like every game was going to be like Ohio state walking into the stadium and just running fucking people over and stuff. Like I saw this, they showed this football footage from earlier today. Cause we're like approaching an anniversary of an Ohio state Purdue game with Krenzel. Yep. Like this is like Purdue is like a fucking no name team taking it to uh, taking it to the house on a team that would eventually win the national championship. And Ohio state won on a fucking fluke pass from Krenzel yep. to the end zone yep. and stuff. So like, these moments like and having this were literally where any team could could beat anybody at least giving that illusion i think having that illusion is more important than ohio state and alabama and georgia are just dominant fucking powerhouses yep yep it would be it would it would be so nice for every every single conference if if every year in and year out washington was like an 8 to 9 win team that could that could take potentially take the pac 12 if nebraska wound up being a you know a nine to ten win team and could threaten uh you know in the western division of the big ten. If yeah we finally got it this year, someone other than goddamn Alabama and Georgia, we have Tennessee at least popping up, you know, to, to mm-hmm. provide some you know provide a challenge. It's 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 great when as we said last time we talked, it's great when like every conference has like three to four teams that are yeah. you know, you have your big dogs, you have Ohio State and Michigan, but it's you need a Penn State. You need right. a, a you know a good a good Michigan State or a good Iowa team or whatever Minnesota. You need another team in there to make it make, make sure that there isn't just there isn't just like a one team or even a two team runaway conference. Yeah, exactly. Like that, the more like talent that you have in the conference that could actually compete, it's just better for the game. And like I I hate to like say this, you know, just because like that may mean your team loses. But like Ohio State losing to Michigan last year, like, yeah, that sucked for Ohio State fans. Like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, it was a little bit shitty to have Ohio State lose. However, it's as far as the state of the game goes, that is one of the most important losses and one of the most important games that's been played in the last God knows how long because it finally like gave Michigan a jolt to be relevant again. And like, I don't care what anybody says, like Ohio state, Michigan, while they may play each other better or differently, it means jack shit 
when Michigan sucks. Like that that's yep. the, the bottom line. So like all these like, you know, I'm not going to say that like the rivalry is back. I'm not going to say that because we, there's still a lot of work to be done before this is a competitive game every single year consistently. But like these uh, these Ohio State Michigan games for the like at least prior to Harbaugh, it's fucking nothing. Like these aren't important. Like these aren't games to be studied or remembered or whatever. These mm-hmm. are just fucking regular season games. They might as well have been playing the, the Wisconsin or uh, some other sh- like some other like not as um, successful program. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, uh, that's it. You want to lead us out of here? Yeah, I definitely will. So everybody, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Over the Line. This is Adam Chemilewski and Matthew Pagel, or The Big Freeze and Smoke, depending on what you'd like to refer us to as. And we will see you next time. Thank you.